0: podcast this week it's another hat trick of glorious guests folks well technically it's four as we throw on the blues and twos to talk to Jake Gyllenhaal and Yahya Abdul-Mateen II stars of the new Michael Bay thriller Ambulance plus we chat with the original Dominic Diamond chopper director Andrew Dominic as that film receives a re-release and we have a natter with the worst person in the world, Renate Rensfe. Oh, sorry, I left out a word there. The worst person in the world star, Renate Rensvay. All that and more on the movie podcast that, if it were a hotel in a Stephen King novel, would be called the overbook. Oh, See? Because you're, you're busy.
1: Because
0: I'm overbooking people.
1: Oh, you're overbooking people. Cool. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, next week's a jam-packed board of guests as well. But, you know, it is what it is. I am what I am. I am what I am. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week is being recorded, as you can probably tell, virtually on Squadcast because I'm off to the airport bound for Scotland in just a couple of hours and so couldn't get into the studio. Uh, You will see or hear the fruits of my labours in Scotland at some point next week. But right now, for now... I'm joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. And the worst person in the world, James Dyer. Hello, Christopher. Oh, sorry, Jim. I left out a word in the intro. I'll I'll try that again. And the worst person in the world, James Dyer. No, that's weird. I could have sworn there was a missing word there thank you that's that's so bizarre you've gone blurry I've just gone
1: blurry that's so weird what have you done
0: I think it's just reflecting my state of mind this morning
2: <laughs>
0: I'm just out of focus so you just
1: like smeared Vaseline all yeah, over the it. lens yeah, without
0: a to make myself look younger yeah. oh my word do you often smear Vaseline and things in the comfort of your own man cave steady please don't answer that as your lawyer <laughs> uh, anyway to pull back the curtain uh, and that's all I'll be pulling back uh, is <laughs> on this podcast we're recording this right now it's 8.42am Um, so I've just awakened, awakened from my ancient slumber. Um, and, um, I'm a bit grouchy. How are you guys feeling? You're early morning people?
1: Yeah. I'm just annoyed that I woke up too late to go running before this, but you know, we live.
2: Oh, what a disaster. Oh oh, yes. Me, me too. Really disappointed (laughs) that I didn't get to run somewhere. Oh, that's why you're dressed like that. I just thought you'd, you know, return from some kind of operation, like a, a black ops, infiltration of I don't know you're wearing some sort of camo thing with weirdy hand things
1: I I can neither confirm nor deny that I'm involved in any black (laughs)
0: op operations you look a bit like a black widow that's very good (laughs) Helen you won't fold under questioning Uh, did you are you going for a run immediately after this yes with a destination in mind or just you know aimlessly
1: ultimately my house again but you know I'll go (laughs) elsewhere in the meantime you're
2: already there so I'm pointing out the flaw in your plan here Mm, I feel like if you're going to run one should run somewhere (laughs) What, what, what One should run to a different destination yes. every day yeah, absolutely. and then yeah. just
0: never return to their yeah. home. You should have a okay.
2: destination in mind. Like you're, I feel you're, you're missing out an opportunity to explore London.
1: I often do, do. I run past Chris's house and then I double back and I get some coffee and then I have a nice walk home from I the coffee I can understand
0: shop. not wanting to stop at Chris's yes. house. but I got somewhere a text else. the other day from from Helen uh, that she simply said, I, I saw it about 20 minutes after the fact, which simply <laughs> said, look out of your window. Uh, That's and I, sinister. I, I know it's it very, very bit, sinister. Yeah. And then... <laughs> And then uh, she sent me a text later on going, uh, I said, oh, sorry, I I missed you. And she said, don't worry, um, I think you were dressed. Well, well, readers, (laughs) I wasn't. Uh, So, Helen, you're very, very very, very lucky. uh, The top half, the top top half was good. That's
1: all I could see. (laughs) Basically, there was a a sailing ship going past on the river. People were stopping to take pictures of it. And as I turned around from taking my picture of the sailing ship, I saw... Chris in his window, presumably also furiously looking at the, furiously masturbating <laughs> over the sailing ship. Oh my god! And gosh. I thought, oh look, we're both here. We could wave to each other. How nice! Oh, but dear. no, is,
2: I don't know. I, like, I was obviously <laughs> was not here last week on account of not being able to speak. I'm, my voice is returning ever so slightly, but I'm not Aspect. sure I've missed this this terrifying conversation of Chris furiously naked <laughs> from the waist down in his flat. I just, I mean, who does that? <laughs> How could you be furiously naked from the waist down?
1: <laughs> I mean,
0: <laughs> let us not
1: speculate. I'll give it a go,
0: folks. I'm so angry. (laughs) I forgot to put some pants on. Anyway, anyway, we have a packed show uh, this week. And uh, unlike the Rolling Stones, time is not on my side. So we're going to get straight into it with a listener question. This one's a little bit more us-centric, us-focused than usual. Maybe a little bit navel-gazy, maybe. But uh, we're going to give it a go because we found the question interesting. And maybe you guys will find the discussion interesting as well. And if it's not interesting, we'll just bang on about Blade for 10 minutes, as we (laughs) always do. Uh, Right. So the question comes from at Sean1Neo on Twitter, uh, who says, I'm curious, what part of your roles do you enjoy the most? And has that changed since the podcast came to be? And the categories are writing, interviews, podcasting, other. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, other. I do love a bit of
2: other. Presumably, the other is furiously masturbating, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not totally working sure. while furiously naked from the waist down. Yes. Oh
1: no! If, if if other involves like watching the actual films, then it's oh, definitely yes, I other. about that. That's quite a good yeah. part of the
0: job, isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's weird. Look, writing is by far the hardest thing to do. Um,
0: speak for yourself most
1: well no but like <laughs> not like I'm
0: kidding, I'm kidding
1: not the little bits of like incidental writing maybe but the you know if you're doing a big feature or something yeah. I mean you had a you had a very difficult one to write the other week and that was even for you yeah that was that was a toughie
0: what was that not it's forgotten time. already it's I gone forgotten it's, 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 it's a constant a
2: gesticulating journey. wildly wax on wax off uh, uh, Cobra Kai I don't understand what's <laughs> happening <laughs> oh. Paint the fence Paint <laughs> paint. I was fence. trying to say
1: Doctor Strange without saying Doctor Strange. Oh, you were oh, spinning
0: okay. the the, the yeah, I was the spinning f- the thing yeah, with know. the ring and the. Did yeah, you not okay. see
1: the portal open here? No. We should
0: talk about portals. Yeah, um, that's a good idea. I yeah I yeah yeah was was that a tricky one? It was a tricky one because there were so many voices. Mm. So it's one of those ones where you're interviewing about. So let me see: it was Sam Raimi, Kevin Feige, Benadlin cummerbund Elizabeth Olsen. Benedict Wong, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Rachel McAdams, the producer, Richie Palmer, the writer, Michael Waldron. I think that's all there was, that's nine voices. And you have about 3,000 words max uh, in which to cram those nine voices and tell a story and make it readable. So yeah, that's, uh, I usually take about a day to do that. You know, this was perhaps an easier write than some I've had in the past where, you know, people, you know they're they're very nice and they're very very friendly, but they're bound by NDAs, so they can't really tell you much. So mm. you have to dig around and try and dig for little nuggets of information. You're hunting for truffles. You're hu- you're hunting for trivia truffles, aren't you? You're mm. hunting for little bits of uh, of information about the film because you want to. You don't want to give anything away necessarily, but you want to entice the reader and paint the a picture of of what the film's going to be. And there are certain films, and you know, you can probably say Endgame was one of those where everyone was very apologetic and very very nice but couldn't really say much yeah. about it and so that poses a challenge um, so you have to figure out an angle and a way into it and stuff but uh, but writing is tricky I think we maybe maybe have talked about this in the past yeah. we, each have, we each have different approaches to writing it's awful it's the worst it's yeah. the absolute worst
2: thing in the world it is a, an up at dawn pride <laughs> swallowing siege that I will never <laughs> fully tell anyone about I can't I just I can't I hate it but
1: at least it, yeah. But you're so in the right profession then James um, yeah I
2: know <laughs>
1: <laughs> but at least like there is satisfaction when you have done it if you think it's good which is about like I don't know a percentage like, of, the 1% time. of the
2: time but this is the Dorothy Parker thing that kind of hate writing love having written and yes. i kind of feel very much in that camp i the actual act of writing for me is one of the worst things in mm. the world i hate it more than i hate almost anything else but i'm always very pleased when it's done oh, that's nice yeah i think i have perhaps inappropriately likened it to childbirth in the past in that it's many many hours of blood and mucus and screaming and then there's something at the end that you're quite pleased with so you know it's nice
1: i guess um in terms of interviewing my my, my thing is it can can be amazing and it can be incredibly stressful it's very much a throw of the dice because it's not in your control it's it's somebody you're talking to it's a conversation and you know a perfectly nice person can be having a bad day that person might be you um but also you know um you might just that they might completely chime with your questions they might absolutely not want to be there um if you go in with a particular thing that you're looking to get or looking to get them to talk about, that can be quite stressful because you're like, ah, we can't just have this nice conversation. I also have to ask you about the thing. You have to tell me you about the thing. You don't need to thing. talk about the
2: thing, Helen, really, I with mean, everyone. I just. I'm
1: just... The well, I mean, <laughs> <you know. laughs> original or the remake? Like, what are you, Oh, the what are original, original, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to... Well, I mean, not the 1950s originally, but I mean, you know, a thing from another world. But, yeah. you know, so it's just like that can be stressful, but it can also be glorious because sometimes you're just having a you know, fantastic conversation with someone who's clearly smarter and more beautiful than you are. And it's, and it's really fun.
2: Speak for yourself, Helen. Speak for myself, um, of course, yes. I know what you mm. mean that. but it's very different depending, like, so you do a podcast interview and it is sort of, it's about having a chat. It's about having an interesting conversation for the podcast. Whereas when you're doing something for the magazine, you're going in there, you're like, I have a limited amount of time and I have an incredibly, incredibly defined agenda. I need all of this information. That's really stressful. And yeah. you just, you're watching the time take away and then you'll ask a question and they might... Go off on a flight of fancy, which burns five minutes, and you're just like, Fuck, I now have five minutes left, yes, and much, much, much stuff to cover.
0: It's yeah, yeah. that. that. I don't this like. is why I have uh, I was talking about that on Twitter this week because I was listening back to an interview I did. Oh, lord, who was the interview even with? But it was for it was for transcription purposes. Uh, it was a director of a major upcoming movie, okay. let's, let's, let's put it that way, and uh, I did that thing that I have come to call the Columbo which <laughs> is I went. Okay, I've got to let you go, but I just have one last question, and then I, we proceeded to talk for another eighteen minutes, during which I asked another six one last questions. And this is this is honestly, I do that a lot. Yeah, I do that a lot, but I I don't even know why I do it, but it it seems to bear fruit. Apart from the time Philip Seymour Hoffman called me out and he went, "Man, man, you ask a lot of last questions." <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's he is right. Um, yeah, it, it can it's it's. When you have that kind of thing you have to hit, it's very, very stressful because, you know, it's usually the thing they don't want to talk about. And this is us. We don't even have to go in there and ask about people's personal lives. Yeah. You know, mm. I, I, I have I a certain that. amount of sympathy, although only a certain amount for the for the people who work for the, you know, the gossip mags and things like that, who are literally told to go in and ask about someone they've just met about their divorce or about their childcare battles or, you know, something horrific. Um, so at least we don't have to do that, which is a which is a genuine gift Um, But Mm. but even then, yeah, it's just it's just you just don't know how it's going to turn out on a given day. You just don't it know. is
2: fun though like it's, mm. it's a fun oh, it can be thing amazing, to do and yeah. I think interviews are another thing where when you're doing them they're fun and afterwards they're fun but in the run up to them they can be quite stressful because I kind of feel like it really and obviously our processes in this may differ a little bit but prep for interviews are kind of a big deal for me Like I like to be very well prepared when I go into an interview you may not fucking notice that it probably doesn't come across but generally speaking <laughs> he does though
1: yeah he does I like
2: to live in their the walls of their house for a month to two months before doing the interview uh, so that I have all the information to have and just because I have this like sort of crippling sense that like, <laughs> I have, like, it's like, you know, the dream, like you're like, oh, I wake up and I'm like at work completely naked. My, my terror, my horror is being in an interview unprepared and just going, oh, yeah. <laughs> have you seen The Expanse? Which is kind of my
3: fallback. It's <laughs> well, we uh, a fallback that. question. Yeah.
0: I'll just start talking about shit that I like. <laughs> I had a dream the other night where it was probably an anxiety dream about that, but it was... Uh, I The Expanse. About, no, but about about interviewing and stuff i have had those dreams before where you go on stage and you're in a play and you don't know your lines mm. and i wonder if this pertains to interviews or just my general imposter syndrome or, or whatever it is uh but i had a dream the other night that i was uh doing an open mic i was doing stand-up and i this second before i went on stage i forgot all my material oh, no. and i was just like you know what it's fine i'm gonna wing it readers listeners It was not fine. (laughs) (laughs) But do do you write questions down when you do interviews? Sometimes. Yeah.
1: I, right, yeah. yeah. I, I don't generally look very much at no, them, but yeah.
2: I tend to have them, but not use them. Yeah. I like yeah. They're my crutch. Like, I need them there in case I just go, I've forgotten my name and why I'm here and mm. what I am. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, and, and I just appear to be furiously naked from the waist down. Help me! Uh, but no, I uh, <laughs> I like to have them there, but then not look at them. I think that's definitely... That's yeah, definitely that's the, yeah. that's the way
1: to do it. This, this yeah. my
2: li- it's, my, it's, my, it's my parachute, my little life raft. I have them. If it all goes wrong, I have them here.
0: <laughs> I find that during phoners and stuff, especially if it's one of those interviews, that you're talking about, where it is much more focused and targeted, mm. and we have a specific number of things that we have to get, and we have a very specific brief. I find that writing the questions down, if it's on the phone or if it's um, if it's on Zoom, can help. Yeah, but sometimes I, I like to go in just kind of unprepared. But um, <laughs> yesterday, for example, I did two. That unprepared sounds wrong. Um, yeah, but yesterday I did two interviews, for example, for the pod. I mean, one is Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdulmatin. The second you're going to hear that uh, later on in the show. And I went in with no questions. I went in with nothing written down. Um, and there's there's two schools of thought in this. You know, you'll get people who'll say that's um, that it's good to go in with a bunch of questions because then the the interviewees will see that you have spent time thinking about what you're going to ask. And I get that, and sometimes I do that. And then there's another one, which is you just go in and you have a chat, and that's mm-hmm. what I wanted to do with Jake and Yaya yesterday. Uh, for Andrew Dominic, that was a I had I had questions written down, so I can hit specific things I want to talk about in Chopper. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Michael Bay, for example, I interviewed Michael Bay yesterday for a Ambulance spoiler special, and. Um, I did write down things from the movie. Spoiler specials, I write down questions because you 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 want to be able to hit things from the movie. Uh, But then (laughs) my phone was dying. So I just, I had to put it to one side. I just kind of go from memory.
1: But then having, having written them down probably helps them get in your memory. It helps.
0: But then also Michael Bay is basically, you just, you just hold on to Grim Life and you you go where he, where (laughs) he takes you. So it didn't really matter what I had written down.
1: But podcasting is, um, as someone who doesn't have to edit the damn thing, easier mm. in the sense that it is us having a conversation. We do, you know, do some prep. We've obviously watched the films. We? Well, <laughs> we've watched the films. Um, have we? we? We may or may not have read the news stories in advance. Well, you haven't. I have. Um, but, uh, you know, but apart from that, this is essentially the Empire Office banter from yeah. back in the day. And and I know we said this before, but... Um, I think when we started the podcast it was a time when we were under a lot of pressure in the office there were a lot of like deadlines to hit and targets for online and all this kind of stuff and we'd kind of maybe lost the banter slightly in the office everybody was running around being quite stressed out a lot of the time and going into a room for an hour a week at that point it was so so short we were so young um (laughs) you know kind of gave us ourselves back a little bit and and it, it sort of restored the
2: but I think it's true now. Like it's, it's for yeah. me now, the podcast is very much a replacement for that banter that I miss so much because even now, so we're back... Uh, two days a week in the empire office generally, but even then, like and though Tuesday, one day a week, obviously is all in the studio. The other day of the week, it's often meetings. Like, yeah. and and we're not all in at the same times. Like, might be off doing interviews, whatnot. So actually, we don't see each other in the office as much as we used to do. So this does this has become like you know all the banter that would have been spread out over the week is now just condensed into this, and of course, the pilot TV podcast. Uh you know, and and that's there is no where we get that from in the pilot TV podcast, <laughs> I no we are all three of us furiously naked from the waist down
0: (laughs) at all times boyd windmilling in your general direction (laughs) oh (laughs) Oh, it's a must listen everyone please
4: subscribe
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh boy but i mean what so i don't know like what i I like different parts of the because the way my brain works i'm very much one for i leave variety so i'm not the trade paper. But, I mean, also you know, that. It's useful. Also that. It's yeah. handy. I like to mix things up. So I like to do a little bit of writing, depending on the mood. Um, podcasts are probably, it's probably the most fun you have doing mm. yeah. it. Yeah. Because we get to tit about and talk to each other, which is fun. Because that was almost my favourite part of the job, was, you know, all, and I've been at Empire <laughs> Titting since,
1: about and talking to yeah, each other.
2: <laughs> I've been at Empire since 1885. But, you know, broadly speaking, like I used to like coming in and it wasn't so much with the writing or the interviewing or even the watching the films. It was being in a room full of like-minded bellends. Mm and just talking about things I love with them all day long. And that's what it was. Like, a lot of the editorial that we put together comes up out of, we've just been yelling at each other, or more likely, you know, bludgeoning Ben to death for his love of Rise of Skywalker for the 15,000th time, which we Mm. never, ever, ever get bored of. I wish you would <laughs> yeah I'm glad you don't get bored of it <laughs> I don't ever. no the thing is I'm on a mission Chris like, I'm never ever going to stop until he finally sees the light that's it
0: it's like he's not going to that's
1: not going to happen
0: two trying to convert each other yeah. is not gonna it's not going to happen never never uh, alright okay and, uh, let's bring this let's bring this bad boy to a crash and halt shall we because uh, Sean one Neo asked a question and he, and he gave us the, the categories so writing uh-huh. interviews podcasting and other I'm going to divide other into two bits for myself okay um, you can you can divide it into whatever you want as well so podcast editing mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and <sighs> uh, and watching the movies and shit yeah
1: so watching the movies and shit is probably do I prefer it to talking with you guys I guess it depends on the movie <laughs> So, you know, like watching a good movie and then podcasting and then watching a, another movie.
2: Oh, for me, I think podcasting is number one for me. I would put that at number one.
1: And then watching movies, other.
2: Yeah, and then the watching stuff.
1: Yeah, and then as long as it's good, (laughs) and then long break, long gap. Then interviewing, then writing. Yeah, and then editing, which I don't do, but I'm guessing that's for me. Yeah,
2: podcast editing is like there's like a hundred miles between the bottom (laughs) thing and podcast editing, which is the very, very brilliant because it is one of the things I hate most in all of existence. Mm -hmm. So it's
0: Mm -hmm. miserable. Yes. Uh. All right. Okay. So yeah, I'm gonna put podcasting at the top because I I love it. Just this. Just this. Yeah. What this is. Talking to people, um, it's much better in the studio. Uh, you know, yesterday we did a couple of podcasts, and just the, the the chemistry, and just being able to see people and bounce from off them from the waist down. Yeah, from the waist and we all know that we are fully clothed in those situations. I have mm, no guarantees.
3: Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you have no guarantees. Yeah. Uh, Helen's I'm black, black, black widow outfit up. could just be half a black widow outfit. We don't know.
3: <laughs>
1: I'm dressed.
0: Um, uh, so I'm going to put podcasting at number 1. I'm going to put interviews at number 2. You don't shock me because mm, when, me when a when a really good interview sings it's it's great. It's euphoric, it doesn't yeah. It's, yeah, then it's, it's the worst <laughs> thing trickier, in the world <laughs> but yeah. But it's a very very tight number 2 and uh, well... As I experienced this morning. And uh, at number three, I'm going to put number two and number three are interchangeable. Again, as Helen said, depending on the quality of the interview and the quality of the film. If it's an amazing film, if it's, you know, Mm. No Way Home or um, The French Dispatch, then yes, (gasps) number two. If it's Rise of Skywalker, (laughs) then it's number three. Yeah. Uh, Then I'm going to put writing at number four. But this is not the besmirch writing. This is just Uh, Writing, I I started out as a writer, I am a writer, uh, but it it can sometimes be like pulling teeth. And, you know, it's tricky. It takes focus and concentration. And even though I'm much better at just writing than I used to be, where I used to just overwrite horribly and, you know, now a bit more focused and I can write stuff pretty quickly. It still takes a lot out of you. If you have a big feature to write, that's a whole, that's a commitment of at least one day. Um, Much, much quicker now, of course, now that we have Otter to transcribe for us. Mm. Because used to be in the past, you used to have to take a day out for transcription and oh, then a day out. That's for the right actually worse the than podcast, editing. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it is. It is because, because you don't just yeah. have the mind numbing tedium. You all have to have the excruciation of having to listen to yourself bumble through an interview. Oh, it's, it's just awful. Just, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. I get that <laughs> as well. I, I get I get that every week uh, already. I'm 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 already cringing about listening to the uh, Yaya and uh, Jake interview uh, <laughs> later on. The last two bits for me are um, what, what, so it's writing interviews, podcasting watching the films, Anything, and podcasting. Podcasting. Er, it's, yeah,
2: it's all. You don't mind it, though. Like, you don't like you don't hate it the way I hate it's it. It's the time suck I don't it, like. The, yeah, the time suck is bad. But it's... The thing is, and I've said this before, like, the problem with that is the same thing with transcription. It falls into this very particular hell for me, which is, it is too boring to be interesting but requires too much focus to multitask so like if you were just like building an ikea cabinet that's quite mind-numbing but you can do it while watching a film like it's fine you can do something else at the same time editing requires a concentration and b your ears so you can't do anything else so you just have to be bored and it takes fucking ages
1: maybe you could take up knitting or crochet
2: I need both hands. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, because it, there's lots of shortcuts. Like, it's, it's both hands on the keyboard at all times because you're constantly having to do things. And when you do remote podcasts like this, it takes 10 times longer than if you do it
0: in the studio. Uh, all right. Well, listen, that's enough gazing at our navels, um, which none of us can do right now because we're all fully dressed. Uh, so <laughs> let's furiously uh, dressed. <laughs> furiously dressed from both the waist up <laughs> and the waist down. Uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, then you can get in touch with this file one method only at the moment which is twitter uh so you can do what sean1 neo did on twitter and just tweet us tweet us and then if we like it we will consider it for the podcast or you can slide into my dms at chris hewitt on twitter or you can reply to one of my tweets or wait for a panicked shout out every now and again Our first guests this week are Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, who are the stars of Michael Bay's new movie, Ambulance, uh, which is out today as you're listening to this, Uh, but not in the States. You only get it for another two weeks. Ha ha ha. Screw you, America. Uh, I don't know why, but we get it early for some reason. Who knows? Uh, But they play brothers Danny Sharp and Will Sharp, who get involved in a bank robbery. That's a very nice way of saying it. They stage a bank robbery. And then uh, it goes horribly wrong, and they make their escape by commandeering an ambulance. Uh, On that ambulance is Isaac Gonzalez's paramedic and a shot cop who may be bleeding out. So uh, a chase ensues across Los Angeles. Uh, will the brothers make it out? Will anyone make it out? Will there be explosions? Of course there will be explosions. It is a Michael Bay film. So Jake and Yaya were in London yesterday for the premiere of the movie slash special screening of the movie. And I went along and talked to them in a London hotel room. So here we go. Yaya Abdul-Mateen II and Jake Gyllenhaal Do please enjoy. Welcome to the Emperor Podcast, Jake and Yaya. How how are you both? Doing well, doing, doing really well. well. Good, good, good. Have you been trying have you been pivoting back and forth between in person interviews and Zoom? Is that weird for you both?
4: Uh yes, we have been. Yeah, we have
5: been. In person is nice. It's 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 refreshing for me. You know what I mean? I mean I haven't it's been it's been a while. You know what I mean? Doing a lot of Zoom interviews and I'm starting to feel like a computer person a little bit. You know, it's nice to be to be in person.
0: When you meet someone and you're being interviewed by them, and you're, you can actually see that they're wearing trousers. Right,
5: that's it. That's a good thing. <laughs> I guess <laughs> just, I just in my mind, I just give everyone. I just bestow that upon everybody. You know, I just I, just I get know, in the pants. Not to put back the curtain too much, to but do.
0: everyone who's interviewed you guys over the last two years has been wearing nothing. Uh, pajamas. pajamas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pajamas like or shorts at best, Jake. Okay. Shorts at best. Okay. What about you guys? Did you get dressed up for a for Zoom interview? Did you do the whole kitten caboodle or? I do. Yeah, Actually, yeah that's, I, this,
5: that's good. It's dedication. I like I that. Had a, the first time I had a that uh, when I was uh, 19, uh, I had an interview for some type of city city planning job or something like that. And I kid you not, it was all it was over the phone. And uh I wore my full suit. I wore my suit, I had my briefcase, I set phone. up I, I was a very serious yes. student. I you know can what I mean? You know what I'm saying? You can see that I, I set up my that. desk and everything in the middle of the living room, I put up my Do Not Disturb and I wore a suit, did not get the job. <laughs> Oh There's a lesson there somewhere. I'm... <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't interview with your friends who, you know, who you thought you were your friends. You know.
4: That's a longer I'm not podcast su- for you. That's, that's, that's a longer yeah. podcast. It sounds like that's a longer I'm, like that. I'm not
5: salty about that job at all. I'm no, about that's that, good. But, yeah. It's
0: good. Listen, everything happens for a reason. True. Yeah. Jacob, apart from obviously Liz, have you had any bad interview experiences or? <laughs> 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 no. No. Never. You're good.
4: I've never had. No. Every, and I love every interview I ever do. And... Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful experience. I do like this form of of, of uh, interview because it, it allows for an informality that I think is, is much nicer than kind of the, like, really rigid, like, deliver a soundbite kind of thing. Yeah. And I think you can really get the sense of who someone is and the rhythm that they speak and how they interact for real, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this I prefer. And, Chris… You're a number one on my list, and the Empire <laughs> podcast is as well. I, Empire has been, you know, I don't know, feels like it's a part of me now, you know, in a way. <laughs> I can't number one, I can't pass through London without it, and uh, I can't really make a movie without you guys. So no,
0: we're always shadowing you at some so, point.
4: <laughs> yeah, your love of movies is um, is unmatched. So, this is
0: good. Uh, yeah. Jake, I will PayPal you the agreed fee.
4: <laughs> yeah. well, was, there you go again. That I'm that more of like... a cash man, but if you want to... Here we are with all this, like... <laughs> all this electronic, yeah, electronic stuff. Get a, yeah. yo, that was the drop the of all Kunch.
5: drops just now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's going to be at the beginning of the podcast for like for the rest of time. It's really
4: true, though, because Empire is such a wonderful, you know, periodical, Yeah. but uh, there are so many offshoots and so many great people who work at it, and over the years I've met so many of them, that's nice. so devoted to film, love film, all kinds. Definitely judgment, but no judgment too, in a way. Um, <laughs> and I, I, and yeah, I just, um, I'm down with Empire. That's, so.
0: that's good to know, that's good to know. Well, listen, if we can get the Mutual Appreciation Society going here, uh, I loved the film. I thought it was absolutely terrific, and the best slice of Bayhem, I would say, since The Rock. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that film's in the Criterion Collection, so you know it's good, mm-hmm. and uh, and it must have been really interesting for you guys to film this. I mean, we're in a really cramped space right now. Mm-hmm. Did you come to hate the ambulance <laughs> at a certain point? Or did you embrace it every day going into that, that
5: location, those cramped quarters with Bay holding the camera right in your face?
4: We didn't really get to hate it. I didn't,
5: I didn't really. I don't think I did. Um, I didn't always love it. I mean, it, you get stiff, you got to get out and stretch. You know, uh, hard to keep your energy up. Hard to keep your energy you know, up sometimes. you are not
4: driving down the street in a real one. So. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, 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 It's hard to keep the energy up sometimes.
4: And like, if there's everybody in there and they're ready to shoot, and you like don't feel like you have your energy up, you have to hop out and you have to do stuff outside. Everyone's yeah. waiting for it. Hop yeah. back in. Yeah, because the,
5: because the energy on the street mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, it's real. You know, mm-hmm. and and we're driving. You can feel the vibration of the of the of, of the ambulance. You can feel it rocking. The, you know, you have that natural adrenaline, but then when you sit it down in the studio, um, then you really have to sort of regenerate, you know, or gener- generate, regenerate that, you know, that uh, that energy. But that's what the exercise is.
4: I was amazed know? at him because he had to drive, all, you know, and fake driving. I mean, he did real driving and all that stuff, but there's a lot of fake driving, too. There's a lot of fake driving. And that's really hard to, like, get your energy up for. You know? And I, there's some shots in the movie I see where you, you're, because the only way you can get your energy up is by, like, jiggling the wheel a lot. Yeah, yeah. It comes you know, it comes on, so it, yeah, you're, like, you were doing that a lot. You were sort of, like, grabbing, shaking, bang on the honk, honk the horn, you know, yeah, that, was your, yeah, that yeah. was your thing to get your energy up. You'd be, like, in the scene, you'd be like, out of the way, yeah, yeah, out of out the out of way. way, you know. But it's hard because, like, it's, you're not moving. You're yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah. And you're just, not driving.
0: It's tough. I mean, how many old films do you see with the rear projection, um, you know, right. from the 40s and 50s? Right. And, the, and the guys are driving like that, and yeah, you be off the road times. into a tree. Yeah.
5: I
4: did that, I did that a couple of times. There's one shot, actually. There's one shot in the movie where like, I'm like, he's totally not driving. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually, and for
4: a majority of the movie, I don't ever think that, but there's one where you're, like, going back and forth really fast, you know, like, with the wheel. Yeah. Where you're going, mm-hmm, what, is it, what are you doing back there? Like that. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He's not driving. You're not driving. <laughs> Because if you were driving the car, be going like, like. But
5: there's a couple times where I'm, I'm where I'm thinking, um, I wish that I was in a I wish that I was in a studio, you know, so mm. that I could have just mm. like looked away, focused, yeah, focused yeah, yeah. on the other person for a little bit. Because no one actually. I mean, sometimes they think, well, you know, he's not driving for real because he's how How are you not looking at the person without crashing? But <laughs> yeah. nah, yeah. Like, or maybe I'm just vain and just wanted like a better you know better, <laughs> better angle. light, yeah, better just, angle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just a better angle.
4: Yeah, don't look you, you, away you, He for has a number seconds. of really good angles in this, I think. I don't think you should be <laughs>
0: and that's mostly mostly Bay himself, isn't it? You know, with the camera shooting you guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, that must that must help.
4: And also Roberto, our yeah, Roberto, cinematographer. Like yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was a the thing about him is Mr. Bay is that he is so profoundly energetic that his camera sort of like diviner of action and the things that he believes are you know full of you know energy and life so he wants this agile uh technique where he can kind of move where he feels like is interesting and so this movie was all handheld all on mm-hmm. our face changing different shots moving around and all of us working together in a very small space like he's like move this take this move over there grab this you know mm-hmm. and that was happening mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. So it was interesting to watch him be so confident and agile with his camera in such a massive—I mean, he always called this his little movie, you know? (laughs) So it was was just—but really, really fascinating to watch him um, navigate uh, knowing the movie he was making as he was making it. He's very astute. And then finding something new, and then changing the movie based on what he found and he thought was more interesting. He's really an auteur of action.
5: You know what? Uh, it's, it's kind of sort of coming to my mind. Michael sort of made this movie as if, uh, as if he wrote the script.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, to me, he was so so in tune with it. He knew what it needed. He knew what the sto- you know with this with the story. I mean, I guess any director should be that that much in tune. But uh, there's there's just you know a little bit of a difference in the way that he quarterbacked this. This mm. film. Well, the structure you know?
4: existed, so all those main structural points, the characters, their their sort of moral dilemmas, all things there, and there, those were all there. That was that never changed. But him knowing that and then moving, he would then find minutia every day, yeah. and you just fill in and fill in more and more stuff that hadn't been there. Yeah. So in a way, I guess you're saying he was sort of, as like any great director does, is sort of rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. But the the, the but Chris Fedek did a really beautiful oh, job with the structure of the movie. And the those huge pillars that exist that really I think carry the movie and make it work come from Chris. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah, yeah, not, yeah, not that.
0: And when I spoke to uh, uh, to to Michael for the magazine, he was telling me that there was quite a bit of improv from you in particular, Jake, because Will's obviously the the center, the emotional center of the movie, and he's a bit more focused. And Danny's a firecracker of a character. So is that something that you were able to lean into?
4: I see a num I see tons of things in this movie as improvs that I don't even remember saying. Really? Oh yeah. I mean I like we would roll for a long period of time and I would just throw mm-hmm. line after line after line and then he throws him back at me, I'd throw it again and um th- I, I would say there are probably good ten, fifteen lines in there that just came from just absurd improvisation. And by the way, I, d- I never thought they would make him in the I was just you know, Michael just would laugh and so as mm-hmm. he would laugh I would just want to do more <laughs> and then he'd laugh more and then I'd go, Oh god, push it, push it, push it. And uh that was really fun for me because I do think Danny, the character I play, is is in a way the engine oh, for, for sure. that, yeah, for for, sure. for the the movement of the movie and that you know getting away from everybody, running from everybody. That's Danny's engine that's doing it.
0: And yeah, yeah, is that difficult for you, then? Because you know, obviously Will has to fulfill a specific function in the movie, and Jake's throwing out these lines every. And you went, I want a piece of that. I want. That. I, I, I did want it.
5: a piece yeah. of that. Like for yeah. I I did and. Um, you know, we, we tried to, we tried to find it, but at the end of the day, it's not about, it's not about me, you know, I, like it's about, it's about Will and it's about serving Will and, uh, you know, so we find other ways to like find that, find that excitement, so, you know, the, 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 fight scene in the front, you know, or some of the more comical moments in the back dealing with the, dealing with the surgery, you know, in that procedure, yeah. you know, the, uh. The moments to sing and things like that but it's definitely sort of like a a tag team you know effort and you know we we all have our have have, have our roles and, but but yeah I, I do look at that dandy character and and i'm a bit jealous you know <laughs> i'm, I'm, I'm definitely that's one that you know I, I like to i like to try on those shoes so you didn't toss out some improv just in, in the oh i mean yeah it? i mean i, I definitely definitely, definitely did, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i mean you know it, 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 it was you know free game to 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 to, uh, improve upon the foundation that was already set um you know and mike would uh improv with the you you know with the scenes that he wanted to direct you know the the los angeles river scene was something that was you know that was a directing improvisation you know of its own it
4: wasn't in the script yeah yeah no that wasn't
5: And without getting into spoilers, obviously,
0: I I want to talk a a little bit about morality as well, what sort of conversations you had with Michael and and maybe even Chris as well about the characters because there's a a really interesting moral shift and a moral dilemma at the center of the film as well. You know, Danny, I guess, would be quote-unquote more of an overt bad guy in in classic Hollywood parlance. But Will is morally compromised as well because of his actions. Did you discuss... The outcomes and, and what the characters are going through in, in those terms?
4: I would say, that I just want to say, like, about Danny, in the end what happens with Danny is that obviously he's a bank robber and they, the heist gets botched and, he, you know, he has to deal with it. But as the heist gets botched, I think the pressure on him to help his brother, who he's not, like, unaware, is in a serious dilemma. I don't think he's just asking for his brother to be there because, you know, he just needs an extra man. He loves his brother deeply. Mm-hmm. And once they get too far... Danny's then just, you know, out to save his brother. And in the end, I think, you know, you don't want to give too much away. But morally, I think Danny does something that's really moving to me in the end where he, you know, again, I don't want to give too much away. But I think in terms of morals, he he actually does have an arc and he does Mm -hmm. change. He makes a choice. So even though he might be the, like, seemingly, like, you know, not, not the best intentioned, I think, in the end. He really loves his brother. He's able yeah. to love.
5: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, Will, we'll, Michael always talked about, uh, you know, this guy's a Marine. You know, uh, morals, the code was was something that was uh, very important. You know, to come across. You know, the fact that um, the fact that he left one life to to, to to live a very different type of life. He says, you know, what that's, you know, I'm a changed guy now. I'm more straight laced. Uh, I want to have a, you know, have a wife and a family to stand up for what's right. And then this thing lands in my lap and I don't have any options, Uh, but I still have a heart and I'm a man and I have to do something about it. Um, And so that he was called to do something that's that really went against his morals, you know, and and that, that that that's that's one of the battles that that will faces throughout the entire film. And just real quick, because
0: I gotta let you guys go. But uh, did you guys go on a brother's boot camp? Did you? How did you get to know each other to fill in those years of backstory that Danny and Will have?
4: We didn't go on a uh, you know brother's boot camp. I think we well, first of all, it was COVID, so there of was course. really no spending time with each other yeah. until we shot. Though we met a couple times before we shot. I mean, I think for us, like he has, he's a, one of six, you know, siblings. I have my siblings and. Um, we know what it's like to be a sibling. And Yaya just has such a wonderful heart. And he's such a um, humble, thoughtful, kind person that the second I met him, it was hard not to love him. And we just went from there. He's Mm -hmm. also a super smart actor. And so all the questions he was asking, I agreed with. It felt like we were coming from the same place. And I think in a lot of ways, that's what siblings do they come from the same place. Yeah. So it was easy mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. us to build. And then I think also just this question of him being adopted and what we went through like as kids and what people said to us, you know, that we take for granted. Yeah. The thing that we have. Yeah. Other people may look at it a certain mm-hmm. way, but we take it for granted. That was a huge discussion for the two mm-hmm. of us. It was more of a a general overall conversation uh, philosophically, I feel like, mm-hmm. character-based. Mm-hmm but no boot camp <laughs> um, the boot camp came when we made a movie with uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> now That's we're officially brothers yeah
0: amazing amazing well guys uh, on that note I'm going to let you go uh, Jake I will of course paypal you the, thank you so the agreed fee it was five pounds great I, I don't five. have paypal right. damn it I'll keep the five pounds in
4: I'm, i <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was easy let works you see? I've come see out on top
0: you're this is welcome. great you're welcome thank you yeah
4: thank you cheers guys appreciate it
0: Okay, so that was Jake Gyllenhaal and Yahya Abdul Mateen II, and we'll be talking about ambulance later on in the show. But first, it is time to talk about the movie news. Now, I know that the Oscars are this weekend, and I know that I said a few weeks ago that we would probably record a an Oscar prediction preview special type thing. Uh, we don't have time to do that, sadly. We Woo-hoo! have run out of time. James is overjoyed. <laughs>
1: oh my god.
0: But because we don't have time to do that as a special podcast, we're going to very, very quickly go through the main categories. Are you excited about the Oscars? Yes. Are we excited about the Oscars? It seems to be that uh, Coda is making a late surge.
1: It is a film nobody has seen. I've seen a late
0: surge. (laughs) You've seen it, but it's on. It's on Apple. I would say, I would argue, the vast majority of the movie-going public have no idea what this movie is, and it may be about to win Best Picture.
1: Yeah, and look, it's not impossible that it will. Um, it doesn't have the categories nominations you usually have to win Best Picture at the Oscars it doesn't have an editing or a directing nomination and Pickle Smiffle well I'm just saying that is statistically important now the only wrinkle in me saying that is they've changed the voting rules at the Oscars this year. There's a whole new preferential system of voting. So actually nobody knows what's going to win the, uh, the Oscars. The Producers Guild is a good guide to Best Picture. It's not infallible. It's, it gets about two-thirds uh, of the Best Picture winners of the last 20 years or so. Look, it's it's not impossible that Coda will win, but I don't think it's sewing up. And it doesn't have those editing that editing well, nominations. Yeah.
0: I mean, if it's not Coda, what? Power of the
2: Dog?
1: Power of the Dog, Licorice yeah. Pizza? Power of the Dog no not uh, it's picture. either
0: going to be Power of the Dog or Coda I would say uh, neither of which I would say are remotely close to being the best movie of the year
1: well obviously look it's Dune but the, like, <laughs> it is
0: Dune it is 100% hasn't been, Dune
1: that hasn't been able to overcome the um, the sci-fi barrier and I would also be absolutely 100% here for West Side Story winning oh but fuck I, off look look Steven Spielberg has to literally make Schindler's list for them to take him seriously at the Academy. He has to leave them with absolutely nowhere to go. To win Best Picture and Best Director. That's exactly like, how
2: I felt while watching West Side Story, just so you know.
1: Don't even, <laughs> look, I am not having this from you. I'm not doing
2: it. <laughs> but just just going back to Coda. Coda's an interesting one because it got, I won't say panned, but it got a very mixed response from critics when it came out. So it felt like it came and then just went Did and it? we'd never, ever hear from again. Yeah. Like, well, maybe I'm thinking more in terms of the bubble of film Twitter that we live in. Like people, yeah, some think- people in our sphere were very vocally dismissive of that film.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that was the general critical response. There was just, that was the snooty people. I wouldn't and worry I, about
2: I that. I loved it, but I didn't, I mean, I certainly didn't think it was an Oscar worthy film. I just thought it was a lovely, warm hug of a film. And I just thought it was a delight. Yeah. But I didn't think it was something that was going to necessarily stand the test of time. Shows what the fuck I know. But uh, yeah, I, it's, it's fascinating. I'd quite like to see it win though, just because it was a great, big, lovely hug of a film. So, oh look at you you, know, you old softy I big, big bushy beard although it does annoy <laughs> me that the one publicity shot that they put out there for this film is the fucking final shot of the film it's like yeah. guys come on spoilers
1: they do this a lot anyway mm. so i i'm I, if i were betting i'd probably still put my money on par of the dog but it, you know who knows like i say the, the voting uh, system has changed that, and that could change that everything fucking
6: else fucking film oh my god sam <laughs> elliott's just just showing up sam what's wrong it's, not a, it's yeah. not a western. It's not a western. It's not a western. That fucking. I mean, I like King Campion's movies. I <laughs> this like. This is just piano, not gonna stop. Is it? No, it
1: isn't. Uh, good thing we're not in a time.
2: No, time. it's Perfect. good.
6: Get your window. I like Bride Star. Anyway, Sam, could you bring Chris back, please? <laughs> I like Ben Whishaw. Me a good actor. He's a good actor. Mm, a good actor yeah. That's
1: true. Yeah, love Paddington too.
6: Very and good, Paddington. Ben- I love Berendon.
2: Anyway, we've anyway. done best film. What shall we do next?
0: <laughs> best director: Jane Campion, Kenneth Branagh, uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi, Steven Spielberg, and Paul Thomas Anderson. It's Jen Campion. Look,
1: out of those, it probably should be Steven Spielberg, but it's going to be Jane Campion.
0: It should hundred percent be Jane Campion.
1: Don't I'm, look. <laughs> I ban you from talking about West Side Story. All right, I'm, you're just banned. <laughs> but yeah, Jane Campion seems to have the wind behind her.
0: Alright, Best Supporting Actress Kirsten Dunst, to Power of the Dog Ariana DeBose, West Side Story Ingenie Ellis for King Richard Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter and Judy Dench for Belfast
1: Well, the Ariana DeBose Award for Being Anita goes too
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just no alternative there, is there? And rightly so I honestly thought they wouldn't go for that because I didn't think they would reward someone for playing the same role that they rewarded someone for 60 years ago but I guess everyone who voted in 1960 is dead I mean, probably not, but... <laughs> <laughs> or sixty one or sixty two, whenever it was. Uh, but I, I thought the narrative that was going to win out was Rita Moreno winning mm. again, but for a, did a remake of the film, but for a different role. Yeah, but I'm too. glad because Ariana DeBose is astonishing. Uh, I, f- I
1: feel like they maybe saw. Ariana's performance and decided maybe not to, to put it forward. It's
0: hard to argue with, isn't it? Just yeah. the, the sheer force of nature yeah. that she is on, on screen in that movie. Uh, best supporting actor, uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Troy Cotzer. It's he's Troy, Cotzer. It. It is uh, Troy Cotzer. It's 100% Troy Kotsur. He's up against Cody Smith-McPhee, Kieran Hines, J.K. Simmons and Jesse Plemons. I would have given this to Kieran Hines. Well, I, I love Kieran Hines and I, I think he was very good in that for the three scenes that he was in it. Hey. But, uh, hey,
2: look, I didn't make the rules, Helen. But, uh, but he is great. Also, he should win it just for being Kieran Hines
1: yes but, correct uh,
2: but no he's Troy Kotzer definitely
1: yeah he's but if so it isn't funny, Troy Kotzer so for some reason he's so funny and
2: he's so charming in that he's film. so charming his, he's just his, brilliant yeah
1: his, his he's very very eloquent his speeches all along yeah. have been just beautiful beautiful expressions of humanity he's lovely
0: yeah best actress Jessica Chastain the eyes of Tammy Faye Olivia Colman the lost daughter and Nicole Kidman uh, for being Nicole Kidman as far as I can tell, Kristen Stewart, Spencer, and Penelope Cruz for *Parallel Mothers*. The consensus seems to be that this is going to be Jessica Chastain. Well, no, that's based on like the it.
1: SAG win, I think. But this is a weird fucking category because there is there was only sixty percent overlap with the SAG nominees. There was zero overlap with the BAFTA nominees. Mm. There is no real clear front runner. So it is Jessica Chastain by a process of elimination. But or like Cruz or Coleman. Well, they were the other nominees for mm. uh, SAG, but that again, that's not enough of an overlap to to say for sure. So, I, I mean, the best performance I think of the bunch is Penelope Cruz, but. I don't know. I think, it, I, mean, I assume, uh, given the overlap with SAG, it'll be, it'll be. I think Chastain's
2: performance in Tammy Faye is very, very good. And it's not like, I know there's a lot of prosthetics involved and people say, oh, it's just lazy. It's, just it's not, it's genuinely no, it's it's an incredible it. performance. Yeah. It's just because the film is so dull. Yeah, the I film's think not great. F- that, that I, I struggle to get excited about her winning for a film mm. that bored me. Uh, see also everything to do with West Side Story. But uh, <laughs> I, but she, but she is fantastic. She is fantastic. Like, and she's fantastic in everything. It's fucking Jessica Chastain.
1: I don't endlessly harp on about how Prayer of the Roller Boys is a piece of shit.
2: Oh, it's a deep cut reference to our Just Watch podcast which no one's listened to yet.
0: <laughs> listen listen for that one coming soon. Just listen to just watch, folks. That's um, right. it's, a, it's called the Great Unwatched James. That's right. The That's Great right. Unwatched. Uh yeah, okay. I think I think the winner is gonna be one of those five ladies. Amazing. And the best actor, Andrew Garfield, for Tick Tick Boom benedict cumberbatch for tick tick mark uh denzel washington for tick tick stab uh javier bardem for tick tick lol lol and will smith for tick tick surf smash (laughs) uh
2: i think the latter is gonna win
1: yeah, it's going to, It's all the signs point to Will Smith. Yeah. Um, now, would I love it if it were Andrew Garfield? Yes, I would absolutely be delighted. Um, but equally, like it's hard to begrudge Will Smith. So he he lost out to Denzel first time, and Forrest Whitaker second time. Both of whom just had all the momentum behind them. So it would be it would be a real shame if, with all the momentum behind him, he didn't win this time.
0: We've done best picture, haven't we? We have. Yeah, we've we done have. best picture. Okay, and we think it's going to be. Th- what do you
3: think it's going to be? I still
1: think it's going to be part of the dog.
0: Yeah. Okay. Of the films that are on that list, the best one is for me, Nightmare Alley. But. It doesn't have a chance.
2: I I want, I I know, honestly, being contrary is kind of my thing, but I want Coda to win because I just think the world needs Coda. Like, it is the hero we need, it is the hero we deserve, and I just think it's a film that people didn't watch and they should watch, and if it wins, they will watch. So, fuck it, Coda.
1: I mean, it's already winning an Oscar, at least, possibly two, with um, Best Adapted Screenplay. True. So,
2: but I think best film is like a it's an interesting thing. Does it deserve it on a, on purely on merit? Possibly not, but we live in a shitty world at the moment and I want that
0: film to win. And since none of these films are Palm Springs, they cannot lay like, claim to be in the best film of last year. So Dude. the whole thing is so that's a funny thing, way to say Dune. The whole thing is a farce.
2: I'd hate Coda less than all the others for taking Dune's rightfully won Oscar. Mm,
1: mm. Yeah. Honestly, where's
0: where's nobody's nomination?
1: Nobody is the least oscary film in the history of the world. I like Bob Woodenkirk nearly died.
0: Bob Woodenkirk nearly fucking died. Give I- the man an Oscar.
1: I love it, but like... Not for yeah. that film, admittedly, but No, just generally. Just, yeah. just a general just, sort of just Oscar. Just give
0: them an Oscar, yeah. Uh, anyway, okay, so the Oscars are taking place this Sunday, hosted by Regina Hall, Amy Schumer and Wanda Sykes. Rebel Wilson has raised the bar pretty high for hosts of a, a major award ceremony, so let's see how that one goes. Yes, the Empire team, by which I mean, not
2: me, will be up all night on Sunday. Sophie and Ben and Ella are going to be covering the Oscars live. Do join them on social media and chat with them, if only to keep them awake so they managed to remember to do their jobs. But, uh, you know, it, it would be fun for you to stay up with them. Solidarity <laughs> and all that.
1: Just for the record, I think it's going to be Summer of Soul for documentary. Um, it looks like it's encanto for animated feature, even though it should be Mitchell's versus the machines. I'm yes, it should. I'm sorry, it should. hundred percent. Um, uh, international feature film is interesting because they're all bangers. Um, so I, I genuinely don't know if they'll go for... Drive My Car or Worst Person in the World but we'll be t- talking about that later and all of the technical ones will go to Dune even the ones it's not nominated for yes
2: <laughs> will the Sandworm present an award who knows tune in to find out Shy Hulud and we
0: wish everyone who's nominated obviously the best have a yes. great night Um, you especially know, if you worked on Dune uh, especially if you worked on Dune or uh, if you listen to the podcast like uh, Mike Rianda director of Mitchell's Versus the Machines uh, the greatest so,
2: animated movie of last year yes indeed
0: not indeed we should absolutely win dog pig dog loaf of bread pig dog pig dog oscar (laughs) hopefully they'll be saying that on sunday night anyway let's move on to other stuff what's happening in the world of movie news folks it's a good, it's a good question
1: <laughs> well um, <laughs> our our weekly um, report on the casting of Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer continues Alex Wolf has joined the cast bringing it to ooh, the, the, 1, 2, 3, carry the 4 everyone, everyone is an Oppenheimer so um, hopefully at some point we can stop reporting on the casting of this film I mean maybe it, it could be out, we could still be reporting and casting for it at this rate
0: I think so I think but, that's uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. He's 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 addicted to adding people, isn't
1: he? He is, yeah. Uh, what else? We oh, the trailer drop for Alex Garland's well, new film.
2: I've been having nightmares about Rory Kinnear pretty much consistently ever since that. So yes,
1: yeah. So this is Men uh, and sees Jesse Buckley, uh, I think, moving to a house in the country after the death of her husband. And a very big um, house in the country. Yes, it is, and um, being stalked by <laughs> basically everybody in town seems to look like Rory Kinnear. Everybody, all the men in the town, <laughs>
2: proving that all white middle class men are interchangeable. Yeah,
1: hashtag yes all men. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, and and it seems to be eerie and a bit scary, and I don't know where it's going, but I will absolutely be watching yeah, it. Yeah, it's I, freaky, I, isn't it? I, I do find it hilarious that Roy Kinnear is one of like the great Shakespearean actors of our time, and on screen he almost exclusively plays creeps. I I know he's got a supporting role in Bond, but apart from that. Almost exclusively creeps and weirdos. So, he does it
2: very well. It was, he, does but he comes it well, across yeah. as just lovely while he's doing it.
1: Yeah, very strange. Anyway, but yeah, just super there for it. If you're into Alex Garland's work, this looks um, like a good one.
0: And who isn't? Who isn't who into isn't? Alex Garland's work?
1: What kind of a fool?
0: What, what fool are they? Hey, tell you what, folks JJ mm-hmm. Abrams has found what he's looking for. He is uh, developing, through Bad Robot, a biographical scripted series based around U2's life. Oh, really? Yeah. Somehow, Bono has returned. The rise of the edge.
1: Maybe, maybe this will finally, you know, see U2 forgiven for giving people a free album that they didn't want. Like You say
0: that and then you wake up one day and there'll be an eight part U2 limited series on your phone that you cannot remove. <laughs> hey, that and you'll would be furious okay. With them again. Like,
1: it just, I, I just, I feel like there's so many people in music who absolutely need to be cancelled. And the band that got cancelled is the one that gave people a free album yes. they didn't want. Yes. It's so weird though. Anyway. They
2: violated my playlists.
1: Yeah. Well, that's good. I like you too. I do. I know it's uncool, yes. but Helen? here, so am I.
0: Hey. Hey. Uh, so, it will be written by Anthony McCartan, who is the writer of The Theory of Everything and Darkest Hour, Oh. Uh, uh, but also, crucially, and this is perhaps what qualified him for the gig, the writer of Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh. So, if you like stodgy by-the-numbers biopics, he is your man. So... I'm sure this will be equally as good as those projects.
1: Hmm. Speaking of writing.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, the the big bestseller that everybody was reading uh, a couple of years ago now was Where the Crawl Dads Sing. And the trailer for the film adaptation with Daisy Edgar-Jones um, has dropped this week. And it looks pretty. It looks good. It's, yes. you know, set in the bayou. It looks
0: pretty. Oh, so
2: pretty. It oh. looks pretty, and stop it, bit- stop it. And I'm having a Pavlovian response. I
1: mean, even I will admit that's the worst song. That's the worst, song. That's song. The worst <laughs> song in the
2: in the, musical. In the history of um, of music. Yes.
1: So yes, where the Crawdads Sing is set in North Carolina in 1969, Edgar Jones is Kia, and she was kind of left to raise herself after her family abandoned her. Um, has been ostracized by the community. Is just called the Marsh Girl and left to fend for herself essentially and um but then she eventually gets a boyfriend and when he ends up dead she of course is accused of his murder so it's trying to figure out who actually killed him what actually happened and and you know for her to push back against the prejudice that she's endured her entire life so that should be uh hopefully a good and if it's uh, anywhere near as successful as the book it will be avatar levels of huge um so fingers crossed Avatar levels of obviously, exa- obviously, I'm exaggerating. My point is the book was extremely successful as books go. Therefore... Okay. Yes, it was. Yes. It anyway... Too few
2: dragons in it for my personal taste,
0: but well, it seems... Well, obviously, uh, I mean, yeah. I,
1: I don't understand why people write books without dragons, to be perfectly no, honest. No Jack
0: Reacher's. No. So, what's and, the point?
1: And Narya Spaceship. Can I keep on the successful books theme for a second? Of course. Mm-hmm. Because Crazy Rich Asians, um, obviously was massive hit a, a few years ago. They've struggled to get the sequel off the ground because John M. Chu has been busy. There was, a, I think, a bit of resistance to, from China to them filming in the country, um, for the for the second film, which is China Rich Girlfriend. It is mostly set in mainland China, so that was a you know a bit of a. A problem, but it seems to be moving again with the news that Amy Wang has signed up as the writer. So she, of course, replaces Peter Cirelli and Adele Kim, who wrote the first film, both of whom left the project after discovering a massive pay disparity between them, with the white man being paid a lot more than the Asian woman uh, who worked on the script with him. So, um, Amy Wang has taken over, is hopefully being paid fairly for her work, and um, it seems like it might be moving again, so that's kind of exciting.
0: There we go. At least, uh, well, I was going to ask, are they still filming it back-to-back, but it all seems very up in the air. Who knows? Yeah, still, I
1: think, a bit up in the air. Yeah.
2: It's nice to see that Rachel Zegler's going to the Oscars, after all. I mean... Yeah despite taking three hours of my life that I will never get back, I felt bad that she wasn't invited to the Oscars. I thought that was a nasty snub. So it's nice that they've extended her uh, an invitation and she's now presenting. But that was, uh, that seemed
0: very, very harsh to me. That's good. Reminds me of the time that um, when I was at primary school and everybody got picked for the football team to go away to play another school. And I cried so hard because i was excluded you were the I'm only terrible. child i was the, i was genuinely the only uh, boy in the class not picked for the football team Didn't oh, not not even like you carry the bag with the oranges i it? was absolutely awful and i i i was so distraught i cried for ages i was like uh, i don't know 16 17. no i was <laughs> i was like six years old and i cried so hard oh, and Pat. then the the headmaster of the school who was the the teacher as well uh, came in I came in and made an announcement to class and said that uh, there's been a late call up to the team and uh we're bringing we're bringing young christopher with us uh, you as well say it,
2: and that we're bringing one of the kids from the other class <laughs> we're, bringing, yeah, <laughs> we're,
0: we're, we're bringing in everyone else and uh, and he brought me along and uh, you know it, it reminds me a little bit of that and i got on for five minutes at the end and was Aww. absolutely awful they, they oh, didn't try to put you in a mascot suit or anything no they didn't <laughs> I, I wish i had because i you know as you know i have a, a strange love of mascots um uh, but it reminds me a little bit of that she you know she took a leaf out of the chris Hewitt playbook and it has worked to perfection, so well done. <laughs> Rachel Segler. I
1: mean, Spielberg musicals, you can't beat them with a big stick, which,
6: you know. I Spielberg. I Spielberg. Great filmmaker, but that West Side Story yeah, is not a musical. I'm with Sam It's not I a musical for Lord. me. Too many god dash, gosh darn scenes of pharmacists. If you ask me, musicals don't have scenes of pharmacies. <laughs> that was the least of my concerns about that film. But yeah. anyway... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you see? They're also making a Godzilla versus Kong sequel. It's due to shoot this year. I have it's seen in a it.
2: pharmacy because otherwise I don't care. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's got to be a time when you stop making the joke. Is there not? I mean,
2: you'd, you'd think. I mean, yeah. I would have thought I you'd am, have
1: passed that point. Like, obviously, I, don't know, I, I weeks am not ago. known
2: as someone who will beat a joke to death over the course of many months and/or years. Mm. But uh, you know, I hate
6: beating jokes to death. Absolutely <laughs> it fucking beating jokes to death. <laughs> Just grabbing a joke and oh, wrestling to, it to the ground and strangling it. And you look in his eyes and his eyes are alive. I continue to be amazed that people listen to this podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe they won't. God bless yeah, them, if so. This it. is
0: it. This is the one where we shed all our listeners. Uh, anyway, well done to everybody involved in that thing that you were talking about that I wasn't really listening to. And I hope that they... <laughs> They do well in their future endeavours yeah. uh, oh Godzilla on? and Kong that's what it was yeah, yes that's well it. done to we, them we all right. Right. both Godzilla and Kong do well in future um, <laughs> yes we wish them all the very very best I'm
2: actually uh, quite curious to see it because when we left Kong he'd gone full metal and was sitting on a giant stone throne with a fucking axe so uh, I'm actually quite curious as where well that goes yeah yeah King yeah.
3: Conan Kong that's right yeah. Yeah.
2: King Kong and yeah he wore his crown upon a troubled furry brow
3: <laughs> yes yeah.
0: Wow, okay So, should we have another guest? Sure Should we have uh, Should we have Andrew Dominic? Yay Let's do Andrew Dominic, shall we? Okay, let's do Andrew Dominic So Chopper The excellent Australian movie That documented the crazy life of Mark Chopper-Reed, one of Australia's most notorious criminals, turned (laughs) incredibly children's authors – that bit isn't documented in the movie – was a calling card for both Andrew Dominic, who obviously went on to make films like The Assassination of Chessie James by the Coward Robert Ford – spoiler alert – and Killing Them Softly, and the forthcoming Marilyn Monroe biopic Blonde. It was also a calling card for Eric Banna, who was uh, and remains sensational in the lead role. It has been given a new coat of paint for what they're calling a 20th anniversary reissue. Uh, And I spoke to Andrew Dominic at length. Uh, So much length, in fact, that this is going to be a spoiler special uh, interview that's going to go up on the paywall. But you're going to get a, a preview of it right here. And right now you're going to get about the first 15 minutes or so of my conversation with Andrew Dominic talking about all things Chopper. And he was on very, very good form. Yawned a bit during some of his answers. But what can you what can you do when I'm the one asking the questions? That tends to be the natural reaction. So here we go. Andrew Dominic talking about his shiny Chopper. Do please enjoy. Andrew Dominic is here. Hello sir, how are you? you good? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Excellent, excellent. Uh, were you tempted to George Lucas this this new cut of of chopper
7: and <clears throat> put in CGI whatever this or that or the other CGI thing. CGI characters
0: no. change the ending do do whatever.
7: You know what you know what I did do was uh you know when chopper was made it was photochemical there was no DI, right? Um, so I spent the first week of the restoration just making, grading it so it looked absolutely beautiful, like with every trick um, that I didn't have at my disposal back in the day. And then I watched it and I was like, this film's dead, mate. It's like I've embalmed it somehow. <laughs> so I had to go back and fuck it up again, put it back to what it was. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was chopper again, you know, and, and I left a, a little bit wiser.
0: <laughs> so if it looks you know, too clean, too glossy, it's it's not chopper? It's not no.
7: There's, there's, some, there's something about the contrast ratio, how bright his face is, uh, that makes it funny. You know, like it's le- it was less funny or it was less extreme or it was less upsetting when it looked prettier. I you know? yeah. and by and by prettier, I mean you know more like a fashion magazine. You know,
0: and uh, it, it looks fantastic. I have to say, I, I just watched it this afternoon, and uh, I did notice that you had you have changed the the title card at the end because obviously. Chopper has passed away in, in the intervening years since. So is that, yeah. that, that's the one change.
7: Yeah. Yeah. That was my George Lucas moment.
0: <laughs> that was it right there. Uh, so what's your relationship like with the film, Andrew? Because uh, it's nearly 22 years now since the film came out. Uh, I know you you did interviews for the 20th anniversary. So is it a film you, you revisit?
7: I mean, I revisit it when I had to grade it, but generally you don't, you know, you don't like looking back at movies, you know, because um, all you see is like, uh, except for Jesse James, because that movie's just so stylish. Mm. Um, I mean, I love Chopper. You know, I made Chopper for me. Chopper made me laugh. It made me have feelings, you know. Mm. I, I found it disturbing. Um, you know, I'm primarily like the audience member or the audience's representative, you know. So, how I feel about it is just really happy that it stood the test of time, you know. Um, there's not that many movies that will get a, a little re-release in theatres like 20 years after the fact.
0: That's a very, very good point. Yeah.
7: Yeah. So I, th- I think basically what it's saying is that, you know, Chopper was built to last.
3: <laughs> you know,
7: <laughs> Don't you think that all movies that are, are really good or any art that's really good always feels modern? You know, if you stand in front of Guernica, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it's an old painting,
0: mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm.
7: the shock of the new mate. absolutely last forever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it really is. but yeah. is, is this something that um, when you were when you were first drawn to the material, was there anything else fine for your attentions at the time whenever you were you were beginning to focus on making Chopper, you had your background in music videos and, and commercials, and you were turning your attention to making a film. Was it always chopper? was there anything else circulating?
7: Um, nothing coherent. Okay. You know, no, it was always pretty much Chopper. And, and I spent a lot of time, uh, thinking about Chopper before I made Chopper. I mean, I wrote many versions of the script until it arrived to the version that we shot, you know. And I don't think there's anything from the first draft really that survived to the final draft, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: I mean, the incidents were the same, but, um, yeah, it changed a lot. I mean, it started off just being a sort of like, I took him at his book, but took him at face value um, from the books and tried to sort of cobble together the best bits, and that didn't really hold together. Uh, I mean, it's entertaining and everything, but it was like it didn't have any kind of um, uh, what you'd call it, but, a, but it didn't have any tension, you know. Um, so then I started going through the arrest docket in the back of his books and started talking to all the cops. And one one of the cops had a ha, uh, had been arrested for not hadn't been arrested. He'd been investigated by the Internal Services Division for corruption because Chopper had accused them of giving him a green light, you know. Yes. And so, as a result of this, they the Internal Services Division investigated and accounted for every day of Mark's life when he was out of jail for six months, you know, up to the murder of Sammy the Turk, and. Uh, the behaviour was just fascinating. You know, it was unbelievable. Uh, and trying to make sense of that became what the film was, you know. And then all of a sudden the film just came to life. And then around the same time I got to go meet Mark in Brisbane, jail in Tasmania. And when you're actually sitting in front of the guy, I mean, I've been imagining him for four years or whatever, whatever it's been, but then I'm actually sitting in front of this person, um, Uh, whose feelings were just under his skin. You know, he was like a really vivid individual, you know, Mm. Um, and I could ask him questions and I could get in a dialogue with him about certain events, you know, Um, and I really had a much stronger sense of who he was, you know, and that's when the movie came to life.
0: I, I mean, one of the things that stands out in the movie is how volatile he was as a character. Yeah. And yeah, uh, that, that manifests itself in many, many ways. But, but one of it is that people have to be on their best behavior around him. They have to tiptoe around him. They have to watch what they say around him because he can misconstrue yeah. anything or deliberately yeah. misconstrue anything. Uh, did you yeah. have experiences like that?
7: Totally. I mean, <laughs> when Eric and I went and spent time with him in Tasmania, it was so stressful. Like, we spent a weekend with him. I think as soon as we hit the plane, the adrenaline dropped and we just, like, fell asleep. And I slept for three days, practically, <laughs> afterwards. Um, but, yeah, Mark does have that thing where he feels like, you know, he's doing you a favour by not killing you. you know. <laughs> he, can, he can definitely get into that kind of mode, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's pretty entertaining, but it's very – it's alarming. He's alarming to be around, you know, he's, you you're on your toes.
0: You have to talk him down um,
7: occasionally. No no, 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 no. But you can barely get a word in. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, still.
0: So, so how did that inform the script? Then this is, this is your first meetings with him were before you even thought about casting Eric. I mean,
7: dude, you know, I mean, that's what the movie is, right? What I just yeah. described, isn't it? I mean, it's pretty much, you know, the wonder of Mark. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's, there's, you capture it beautifully. I mean, there are so many scenes where you see that. And there's the, uh, I, I think, perhaps most, most pertinently is the stabbing of Keithy.
3: Yeah.
7: I mean, it was actually, that was when I realised the movie worked. was seeing that for the first time with an audience, that scene. You know, because the movie's just sort of chugging along up till that point, And it's entertaining and it's whatever it is. But when that scene happens and he turns around, it's not the stabbing, it's when he turns around and apologises. That's when you just felt the bottom drop out of the room and everyone was like, what the fuck? I don't know where I'm standing anymore, you know? <laughs> and I thought, okay, the movie works, you know?
0: <laughs> and uh, um, what was it like filming it? Because I, I know from, from reading about the making of the movie that you shot that in the prison, in Pentridge in yeah. Prison.
7: I mean, it was stressful, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a, like, I, was, I can't remember what it was, like 31. <sighs> Didn't know well, I mean... I've been shooting shit professionally up until that point, you know what I mean? But um there's something about like they're all sprints, like short shoots. Um, and now you're shooting something that's like weeks. Um mm. and nothing but problems, mate. Everyone's scared, you know. Um you know, it was uh, it was terrifying to be honest with you. Until you get exhausted. Yes. Until until you're too tired to be scared anymore. Um, And and then you're just sort of like trying to get through it, kind of thing.
0: So it's much like being in a room with (laughs) a chopper. Yeah, a
3: little
7: bit, a little (laughs) bit. bit. It was actually. I mean, I just quickly, I I remember the first week I shot the best and the worst scenes in the film. Um, The worst scenes aren't in the film because they were terrible, but I shot the stabbing, which was amazing. And uh, and I realised at that point that I had to stop being responsible, you know, to the crew and the everything. I had to just keep keep hammering at something until I liked what I was seeing.
0: So, so the the the, the scene where uh, with Jimmy stabs chopper,
7: yeah, I mean it was beautiful, you know. Um, I mean Eric's so good in it, and uh, it looked beautiful. I mean the whole thing was really good, and I realised okay, that's the movie. That's the movie I'm making, not this sort of fucking carry-on movie that was when I'm sort of trying to get, get shoot the schedule, you know, not yeah. shoot the film. Yeah. Um, and, and so at that point, I just made up my mind, I'm going to dig my heels in, you know.
0: So what were you looking for specifically from that scene? From that scene? From that scene? From, was, was it a sense of, because 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 Eric plays it incredibly well, but there's a sense that, I don't know whether his chopper doesn't have a, he doesn't feel pain the denial, same way other people do. no, yeah.
7: it's just denial. Just, it's, yeah. just, it's just in denial of what's happening to him. You know, I mean, that was the most incredible thing about reading the incident report of that, all, all of the interviews, you know, um, because it was a crime. You know, so there's everyone who was involved was interviewed by it. And the the sense that you got of just like him not wanting to accept that he'd been betrayed you know um uh and it taking him a long time to work out that that he was being stabbed you know the idea of like you know running the stabbing through chopper's denial and his unwillingness to accept that he's been betrayed is what makes the film this theme great you know um makes it interesting and 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 makes it feel real you know and something that you haven't seen before.
0: Is that the moment when you knew Eric was knocking out of the park? Because I know he I know he aced the auditions, but even so, there must have been a tremendous sense that this is a, a real high wire act <laughs> we're casting this guy.
7: I I mean, yeah. I mean I have to say that Eric was a lot better as an actor when he was fat. <laughs> You know, you don't want to get between Eric Banner and his food, basically. You know what I'm
0: saying? So the second half was much easier. Much easier, mate. Much easier. Yeah. I, I've, I've read that. I read mm. uh, Eric said that the first half wasn't, wasn't exactly a walk in the park for you guys. No, no.
7: I mean, there's a lot of problems in the first half. Like, I, I didn't get along with the DP. Yeah. Um, and I replaced him. Uh And things went a lot smoother after that, As like, at least in terms of you know onset operations. Let's say, Um uh, and I think Eric Eric was was um wasn't hungry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's what it was. He was just he was just a little bit a little bit bristly because he hadn't had his snacks,
7: mate. Yeah, low blood sugar, mate.
0: Okay, yeah, so, absolutely. You
7: know, you know yeah. <laughs>
0: It's a hell of a thing, though. I mean, you're talking about this being your first movie, Andrew, and then you you shut the film down. for, f- Was it four weeks? Yeah, there and thereabouts. So Eric can pile on the pounds. Uh, what were you doing during the four, those four weeks? Were you editing? Presumably? Freaking out, man. Freaking, <laughs> freaking out?
7: out, freaking out! No, no, I was cutting. Okay, I went and cut a few, cut a few good scenes. You know, I didn't want to see the bad ones uh, that would just cause me to crash. But I cut a few of the good ones. I was like, okay, it's good. You know, but then basically you're back in pre. Okay. Okay. And and and, and pre is worse than shooting. At least when you shoot, you get dailies, right? So you get to see that okay, it looks good, or you're doing good, or that was good, you know. Um, and that keeps you keeps your spirits up, you know, but in pre, it's just problems. Um, and there's no counterweight to them. And you don't get to sleep. You know, the last two weeks of pre-production, it's always like, I can't wait till we're fucking shooting so you can get to sleep again, you know. Um, <laughs> pretty much. So, you yeah. know, I mean, it was a fucking relief for a week, a week and a half, you know, to get to stop shooting. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That was great. Fucking great. Okay, so that was Andrew Dominic. And Chopper is out in cinemas again this week. And get to the chopper uh, get to the chopper uh, is definitely our advice we're not gonna review it here uh suffice to say it is a uh, it remains a belter um mm, it really, a is. really really dark and funny examination of uh violence and a, a true <laughs> a true one-off of of a character uh shall we say with an, an incredible performance from Eric Banner enough about Eric Banna's chopper oh my oh word boy. Brrr. Let's talk about some of the movies that are out this week to see in your multiplex or indeed on your silverplex. Let's start with the worst person in the world, Jimbo.
2: Yes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my voice has gone again. Your voice is gone. Yes. Yes.
3: yes. Hi. Hi, it's me. It is My voice like is my passport, <laughs> please verify me
0: you think if anyone's voice was going to go it would be uh, me after Sam sorry after Sam Elliott himself <laughs> burst into this podcast earlier on uh, the worst person in the world uh, Hells Bells you are not the worst person in the world but you are the oh, best person in the world talk about the oh, worst person in the world the thing you've ever said to me because you have seen the worst person in the world which puts you one up <laughs> on James who actually is the worst person in the world because he has not seen the worst person in the world although I
2: do plan that's to fair. see the worst person in the world because I will feel seen um, because I'll feel seen but uh, <laughs>
0: You know, it'd be uh, like it'd be like that leonardo dicaprio point at the screen yeah. <laughs> <It'd be> like, <laughs> <"Look>, <laughs> every, every time the worst person in the world comes on it's, look at that. It's... helen
1: yeah, yeah. The, the, okay so this is a just let me get this out of the way first this is a fucking magnificent film it's absolutely brilliant it's not short do be prepared for that it is not a uh, an hour and a half quickie um but it's, it's a brilliant character drama. So um, Renata Rensiv plays Julie, who's about to turn 30 and is still trying to figure out her place in the world. She's, you know, just bouncing between different jobs, different haircuts, different boyfriends, and trying to kind of find something that sells her. And, and initially it seems to happen with um, Axel, who's played by Anders Danielson-Lie, who has worked with his director, Joaquin Trier, since, I think, tw- 2006... And they seem to kind of hit it off and there seems to be some kind of a connection there and that seems to work for a while. But the question is, will it work kind of forever? You know, he's a bit older, he's ready to settle down and she is just not sure if that's where she is in her life right now. It's a very relatable, very realistic, very nuanced character piece for Mm -hmm. the most part. It's about just you know, figuring your life out when you're still in your 20s or early 30s. and Sort your to fucking life off. out, mate. Genuine And that could be the tagline, genuinely, you know. But it also takes these these kind of trips into magical realism at times. It, it kind of captures the headiness of being in love. Mm. It works as a sort of rom-com at times. It works as a drama. It works. It just works. I just think it's a magnificent film. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, it was written with Eskel Voigt, who also wrote The Innocence, which we'll be talking about in a couple of months, which is also magnificent. I just think they're incredibly talented filmmakers. And, um, and I think it's a magnificent, magnificent performance in the central role. I mean, you know, everybody else around her is good, but I think uh, Renata is astonishing. So mm. I, I don't know what else to say about it. Just just <laughs> see this if you can. I, ju- I just think it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, the best thing to come out of Norway since John Arnauriza's left foot
1: uh, that would be a footballer?
0: That would be a footballer.
1: Okay, yes, then I agree with that. Okay.
0: Yes. Uh, <laughs> He's a
1: good left foot, yes?
0: He had a howitzer of a left foot, it was a Brilliant. rocket. Didn't always go where he wanted it to go, but
1: <laughs> well, this is a howitzer of a film. Wait, no, that sounds wrong.
0: This is a... <laughs> it's how wittier though, isn't it? Wouldn't you say?
1: It is. It is witty. It is. Um, yeah, because it, it has that sense of wry humor about it. You know, there's tragedy. There's there's comedy. There, like I say, it is very romantic at times. It's very playful at times. Um, great central performance. it doesn't performance. kind of lose. Yeah, great central performance. But it doesn't kind of lose. You know, the run of itself. It it it, it sort of. It all feels true to this person. It just feels like a rounded portrayal of a human being. I love it.
6: Love
0: it. Love it. And uh, don't worry, folks. There'll be an American remake if <laughs> long. <laughs> <laughs> Presently, although less happening, less than this. Do you remember the um, when Tony Urban came out and there was there was announced there was going to be a, a remake of that with Jack Nicholson and Kristen Wiig, and we all mm. shuddered a little bit. And then it never happened. Hasn't happened. Yeah.
1: yeah. Even Train to Boston hasn't come out yet. So maybe maybe that's. Gone off the rails, as it were.
0: Uh, We love this. We absolutely love this. Uh, It is a five-star experience. The worst person in the world may have yielded the best film in the world. Uh, So go and check it out, folks. This weekend, it is in kinemas. Uh, So go and check it out. Five stars then for the worst person in the world. Speaking of the worst person in the world, Jimbo's back. (laughs) Uh, and he's going to talk about Windfall, which is one of the many films that Netflix just drop on Netflix, they do that like classic thing, knock on your door and go, there's a film,
2: there's a film, you should check it
0: out. And then they run here. away. We
2: know we didn't tell you about it and do that thing called publicity, but yeah,
0: it's here, a fully formed film. You can watch it. Go. Netflix are playing knockdown ginger with people's careers. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely wild. It's absolutely wild. Anyway, Windfall. Windfall, which is the latest of these. Uh, this is a Charlie McDowell film.
2: Uh, Who is Charlie McDowell, James? Charlie McDowell is, uh, It's not Andy McDowell It's not Roddy McDowell It's a separate McDowell uh, Charlie McDowell is the director of such things as Looks at IMDb One episode of Legion <laughs> Which I have seen oh, good uh, God. Two episodes of Dear White People <laughs> Which I have seen uh, And other su- Oh Tales from the Loop Shall, shall I, I, tell, I, you, also
1: shall I tell you who
0: Charlie McDowell yeah, please is? Please
1: put you out him out of his misery <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, go on, hit me with it it. like you know, it, call he, you the worst person in the world, and then you spend the entire time. This is to... <laughs> child of Andy McDowell and Roddy McDowell. This no, is what he's the child say? of uh, Malcolm McDowell and Mary oh, Okay. It's the other McDowell. Yeah. So yeah, and, so and he's there also there
1: the husband, isn't he, of Lily Collins? Yeah.
2: Okay. Good to know. Okay. Fine uh lily collins no longer in paris but now in Ojai, california uh for this little (laughs) film in which she plays wife and jason siegel plays nobody uh and this is uh it's a kind of a very sort of stagey hitchcockian thing where jason siegel we encounter him at this sort of holiday home sort of rifling through someone's possessions stealing their watch taking some money and just as he is about to leave this house which is quite inexpertly burgling uh i mean really badly Really badly, like find another career. Uh, but uh, the owners turn up, which is particularly unfortunate because it's a holiday home. So they almost spend no time of the year there. And he has chosen the one day they're arriving to actually burgle the place. But they turn up just as he's about to leave. And an unfortunate standoff then occurs, whereby he wants to leave but can't because they've seen his face. But then also maybe now needs some money to disappear. And so you have this very, very sort of theatrical thing where the three of them essentially sit down and talk. Uh, cracks shall we say, appear in the marriage of wife and CEO, played by Jesse Plemons, Uh, and Jason Tegel's character, while I wouldn't say overtly sympathetic, Mm -hmm. is certainly not a, you know, cut and dried bad guy uh, Mm -hmm. burgling the place. I actually really enjoyed this. I thought the tone is really interesting to me, because early on it's very sunny, it's kind of golden hues, it has this plinky-plonky Hitchcockian score, it's quite playful, Um, and it gets slightly darker as the film goes on. Um, I think what it does do well is keep to a nice tight 90 minute runtime. i do think even despite that there's a period i would say maybe two the way through where it starts to run out of steam a little bit mm. because it does it becomes very much a conversation it touches on things like uh like class and wealth and equality but it never really explores it seems to play lip service to a lot of this stuff and i think some of the more interesting themes don't get fully explored. It's very improvisational as well. I'd be interested to see how much of this stuff was actually written down and how much was them just sort of freewheeling ideas because it feels, a lot of it does feel quite improvised. But it's fun and there's some great performances. I think Jesse Plemons does raging bell end particularly oh, well at the best of times but he, he is, is the worst person in the world he's the worst person in the world in this he's just so fucking terrible and i think that really works because it makes you sympathize a lot more with Siegel's nobody as a character despite the and also the fact that he's fucking useless at what he's
0: doing i mean truly inept he is
1: yeah it, it's pretty clear this is not his career burglary no, is no. not his profession
0: he's improvising himself it,
1: it, uh, essentially yeah yeah
2: yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's a fun it's one of these films where I'll be like I enjoyed that and then next week you'll we'll say have you seen Windfall and I'll be like I've never heard of it we'll, so, yeah, we'll do it on an episode of The Great Unwatched you would be going yeah, Windfall be like, I haven't seen it I've never heard of it what it's are you like, talking about James you reviewed um, it on the Empire podcast <laughs> <did> <laughs> I? No, no recollection at all okay. you were wearing
1: your blue jumper James oh yeah that's right
0: yes <laughs> um, yeah I don't think I'm quite as up in it as, uh, as you Jimbo I thought it was a a lot of running to stand still if you want to yeah, hark back to you too mm. Yeah, I just thought that it's it's one of those movies where contrivance have to contrivance have to contrivance happens because yeah even to even to sort kind of stretch it out to that that meager ninety minute running time you need this to happen and that character mm. to misunderstand that and then you have to yeah, uh, uh, yeah. it's just part it when just they're trying to get me. some money and it's going to take a certain amount of time and I'm like really like I that-
2: didn't <laughs>
1: actually feel that it was it felt that contrived I'll be honest because there wasn't because there were so few moving parts yeah that you know i th- i feel like even if you have the money to get a bag full of cash delivered to your house no questions asked which the oh, film needs at one point that does take a little bit of time. who day, among presumably. us
2: hasn't at an hour's notice asked for half a million dollars to be delivered in a bag to our house
1: <laughs> well I've I asked mean, a lot but really? I've never had
0: it delivered <laughs> have you never had the signed off on expenses <laughs> I have <laughs> all the time our first trip to comic-con wasn't far off that but anyway <laughs> Giardelli's half a million dollars yes I'm afraid so you should see those banana splits guys they are really dope
1: we had the large ice creams um, yeah I, but I do think it's, it's good performances i feel like lily Collins, god bless her has been you know very much treading water as emily in paris not literally because you would never get some of those outfits wet but um this you know this does actually show that she has some dramatic ability as well which she hasn't really much done in her career and i thought she was i thought she was pretty good and and it was nice to see jason siegel so dialed back like almost nothing almost too much um but but i thought it was good and then jesse Plemons is kind of flawless these days
0: as i always say on the show if life gives you jesse plemons then make some plemonade and that's what this 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 film does jason siegel's career is really interesting because he was like mr broad comedy bloke Mm. and then he stopped being mr broad comedy bloke like the muppets and i love you man and Mm. things like that and then he just stopped doing that and then just disappeared for ages, and now he's come back as Mr. Cerebral. Look, he was—he um, was
2: furiously naked from the waist down in a great he many films that really he was, was, in. was in, was he? God, yeah. yeah. He was almost contractual at one point. Like, oh, there's Jason, and there's little Jason. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the mm-hmm.
0: Muppets, I thought, was pushing it a bit too far. <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe he's doing an Adam McKay and just getting yeah. more serious as he gets older. Perhaps you know. he
0: maybe. is. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. Windmilling into Kermit's face, I thought, was just maybe. <laughs> oh, no. One thing they didn't—they didn't quite need there's magic in the air this evening magic in. oh no (laughs) anyway we
1: give this three stars (laughs) three stars we
2: did give it three stars and in fact it has three stars so that works out quite well
1: oh i like what you did there
0: yeah three stars indeed yes for windfall and not for windmill that's a very very different thing we don't give that three stars at all uh next we move on to michael bay's Ambulance, which stars, of course, Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdul-Mateen II and Asa Gonzalez, and a whole bunch of explosions and guns and bullets and blood and guts and all swirling, roving cameras. Oh, my. Jimbo. Yes. Talk me through Michael Bay's best film since A Rock.
2: Oh, well, see, on. see, we discussed this. We discussed this, and I don't think I can, in good conscience, say it's better than Armageddon. But I, 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 you know what? It's not far off his best film. It's certainly his best film since Armageddon. And oh, come uh, on! I, okay, fine. Pearl Harbor. I have, I have, I have what? a lot of affection for Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor? But, but <laughs> look, uh, the bar is not hugely high if you if you're counting all the Transformers films. But yeah, generally, the first but,
1: Transformers is good.
2: It's fine. Anyway, this 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 is definitely his best film since Armageddon, and I really really enjoyed this and i i went in with a bunch of, well let's get onto that later so let's talk about the film first shall we so this stars uh yaya abdul Mateen ii as will sharp an army veteran who needs money for an operation for his wife who is sick so he does the thing that you would do if you needed money you go to your kind of adoptive brother danny played by jill and hall who is a career criminal and with no preparation whatsoever just popping by to have a coffee you end up Committing an armed robbery with him and a team of criminals. And it all goes thoroughly tits up because, of course, it goes thoroughly tits up. Uh, and then you end up in an ambulance having kidnapped Asa Gonzalez's uh cam, who's a paramedic, and a cop who has been shot. And you end up running through the streets in something sort of almost like, I don't know, it's like bringing out the dead meat speed. I don't know what it is. Um <laughs> And then you've got uh, Garrett Dillahunt, the always excellent Garrett Dillahunt, mm. as the ambulance chaser. He's uh, he's like one of the cops uh, who's following them. And they try not to get killed. And lots of things blow up. And bullets go in many directions. In many ways, going through people. Uh, and it's absolute carnage. So this is... This is to me. This is a symphony of violence. Like I was watching this, and I was thinking, like Bay has a certain number of tricks. He has the cameras pointing up. He has wonderful helicopter slash drone shots. He does all kind of things. He does slow mo. I mean, there's a point where there's like a, a, an explosive bit of car chase to this woozy color of uh, of California dreaming, and I was just like, he has. He's taken his whole bag of Bay tricks, and he has turned the it matrix. to the max. Matrix. His matrix of Bay tricks, and he has gone Bay Max with this trick and it's just everything it is everything everywhere all at once and I just kind of I almost my brain almost had to shut down and reboot at one point because of sensory overload now and that was I, the
1: film making you dumber.
2: I mean, it was a bit like that. Although I have to say, I have to say, when we watched this film, and this may be the best part of it, they started the film, and then five minutes in, they stopped the film because Michael Bay had to take a phone call, <laughs> and then we waited ten minutes, and then they restarted the film, and that may be the greatest Bay flex of all time. But that's neither here nor there. the The film was, I I I loved it. I genuinely loved it, and I found, I, look, no one does twitchy and stressed out and angry and slightly psychotic like Jake Gyllenhaal. I think Yahya Abdul-Mateen was brilliantly uh, sort of charismatic and in a kind of soulful but nevertheless a bit criminally role. Uh, And Aza Gonzalez, I thought, took absolutely Mm. no shit and did an awful lot with not a lot. Uh, And so I thought that was was great as well. But more than this, for me, like performances aside, this felt like Bay going back to what he does best, which is staging magnificent sort of banquets of carnage and i've missed this shit because you don't get it from transformers because i'm so bored of watching cgi robots bash each other through buildings it just doesn't have that visceral sense of of realism of sort of palpable tangibility and this because it's so grounded does and there's something inherently cool about that that speed formula being in a in a speeding vehicle and you can't stop and there are people chasing this stuff going on And yes, okay, I will grant you there's points where it's almost beyond parody. There is, and I think we talked about this afterwards. there is a drone shot where the camera starts on the roof of the bank and soars down for no reason, soars down to the entrance. You're like, what's the point of this shot?
1: But it doesn't even sort down of to the entrance. This is what got cuts. me about that shot. Yeah, it it just cuts halfway. <laughs> yes, I know. So <laughs> this is what annoyed me about the whole movie. I absolutely believe that Michael Bay is a great action director. I think he is He is phenomenal at what he does, which is creating Bayhem. Yeah. I don't think he does it in this film. Now, I like a lot of the fact that, again, there were stunts and they were actually... Clearly, cars being destroyed a lot of the time. It was like the frickin' Blues Brothers in terms yeah. of the number of cop cars rolled and, and shot through the air and everything else. I do appreciate that. And in fact, a couple of the CG shots that there were in there for some of the, the things were bad. They were badly done. So it was better that they stuck with the, with the practical effect. The problem for me was it just didn't have the precision that I expected Michael Bay he he shot it very very fast and so maybe it was a limitation of time or budget or something but it felt like he just went yeah that'll do move on a lot of the time and and the the action was not it did not have the clarity that I expect it had all the clarity of some of those fucking transformer fights where we couldn't tell one robot <laughs> from another instead of the clarity of like the first transformers where you could actually tell which car was punching the other car i did like everything in the ambulance i thought you know everybody had, had a compelling reason to be there and also a compelling reason to regret being there i thought that, that I, I can't believe i'm saying this about a michael bay film i thought the character work was good
3: <laughs> but I,
1: but i just thought that the the action wasn't where it needed to be and it and the levels of militarism and the levels of of unthinking worship of militaristic U.S. police, I I find genuinely disturbing. And again, I know what I'm getting. I know it's a Michael Bay film. I understand that, but equally, there's got to be a limit. And and I felt like this was way past the limit.
2: That's interesting. I like. I see. I I I I'm 100 percent willing to suspend all like political commentary when watching Michael Bay film because I know exactly what I'm going it's like, for. Have but you seen
0: The Rock? Well, quite. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, this is what he does.
1: But the point is, The Rock actually has some criticism of the military and that's the military and not the police I for the most
0: part i don't is, think yeah. every cop comes out of this uh, completely covered in glory uh, no i think that's but- true. especially and i think the end as well has
2: has a, has a lot to say uh, which is quite interesting it's interesting that you weren't when sold on the action the only i didn't find the action hard to follow all that incoherent the only thing i did is the heist is not heat uh, and i enjoyed the shootout i thought actually it was well done but the the, the heist felt I had no idea what was going on during the heist. Like mm. People seemed to be leaving the bank from eight different entrances and going, I don't what is happening? This is utterly shambolic. Yeah. Um. But maybe that was part of the point. But uh, So I didn't know what was going on there, but once they were in the ambulance, it felt a lot tighter, and I know sort of like, stylistically, like, there's a lot happening, and sometimes it is a little bit overwhelming. Um, though I didn't find it that hard to follow. I mean, I, there, there, there are moments where there is a, literally a shot where this drone flies down, goes through an underpass, shoots past them, and then flies out the other side see something. And I'm just like, how off to you sir i don't know why you did that but i'm fucking here for it i just yeah i had a big old goofy grin on my face all the way through this and i think the only thing about it that i didn't like was the sound mix which i thought was a little bit problematic yeah because there were huge chunks of dialogue i just couldn't make out yeah like it was lost in the mix to me and i don't know whether that was the theatrical setup where we were seeing it or whether it's the mix of the film but i thought that was a real shame but other than that i had a blast yeah
0: I've already nailed my colours to the mast. I think it's his best film since The Rock. Uh, I I have not been on board with everything Michael Bay has done over the last few years. Uh, Numerous interchangeable Transformers sequels and uh, Six Underground did not (laughs) float my boat. Let's just put it that that way. Uh, But this is very much, for me anyway, a return to form. And uh, one of the things I loved about it was just how relentless it is. Uh, and how kind of ingenious it is as well and how unpredictable it is in terms of stretching out what is a very, very thin concept into yeah. two hours. Uh, because you think, well, that's okay, they're, they're in an ambulance, they're being tracked by the police, this movie's going to last maybe at best 30 to 40 minutes. And the, the rug pulls, the various little twists and turns that it does to keep them uh, on the road uh, and to keep it going, and to keep the plot going. Uh, I I really really loved. I didn't always know where this movie was going. I thought there there are a great, great sequences. There is an utterly absurd and excruciating in all the best ways surgery scene. Oh my god. Uh, which oh god, will yeah. long live with me. I love the <laughs> interplay between the three leads principally. But it also does that thing that the rock did really, really well. And I think the best Bay films, and there was a discussion this week on Twitter about films like like um like Die Hard. And that have a great full supporting cast that, that each, you know, that can that inject kind of mm. humour into the film without it feeling yeah. necessarily like you know, everyone's wisecracking. And I felt that this film by and large gets that right. There's a there's a fairly deep bench of supporting characters, uh, but it is overwrought. It is overblown. It does. Bay cannot resist at times throwing in a fairly inappropriately timed bit of humor that doesn't always I think uh, mesh with what's happening dramatically Uh, but for the most part I thought this was absolutely terrific, and I'm appalled that Helen is not on the same page as us.
1: And look, I am I, I, I'm a. I, I would be a three-star, which is a recommendation. I agree with you about the twists and turns of the, and the, the stuff inside the ambulance. I feel like you could have lost about that half hour. You could have taken it down to a tight 90 minutes just by losing the shots of police snipers getting into position. Oh, those are great. <laughs> I love that. There are so many of them. Also, there are so many
2: 50 caliber barrett sniper rifles i don't know if those are standard issue for police but i can't help feeling they're probably not
0: love it love it love it <laughs>
2: but also i will say though like nothing nothing says michael bay more than the fact that in this film two other michael bay films are referenced by oh. name in the film i was in an act of just staggering narcissism which i really
0: enjoyed <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like the moment in Transformers where the, the guy goes, "This is like a million times way cooler than Armageddon." <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, oh, yes. Uh, so James and I love this movie. Uh, everyone else at Empire is utterly miserable and yeah, okay. uh, hey. and <laughs> and uh, just uh, falling out of love with life. Yeah, no, this, it, is the so star this is a four-star
3: masterpiece. It is ambulance. This is Good it. This is, this is
0: my feeling, folks. If you don't like ambulance, then maybe, maybe you are the worst person in the world, and maybe you need to take a long, hard look at yourself and look, the choices I'm you've made along long, the way. i a long,
1: hard look at ambulance, and it's a three-star film.
0: Uh, alas, Empire Magazine agrees. Yeah. Listen, this is going to be. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it right now. I'm gonna once again nail my colours to the mass, Make this prediction. Go down William Hills. Stick your life savings on this. Ambulance will be the third Michael Bay film in the Criterion collection. That is my prediction. There you go. Take that to the bank. But just make sure Jake Hall's not inside yeah. when you get there. <laughs> Otherwise it all might go wrong. Anyway, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Chris here. Just jumping in real quick because the show isn't finished. The show isn't finished. I am now in Scotland. I am in St. Andrews, the wonderful, picturesque and ancient town of St. Andrews. For the St. Andrews Film Festival, the very first one. It is called Sands. It's very, very exciting. I'm one of the most beautiful spots in the world, but I'm not playing golf, even though my hotel room is overlooking the old course here at St. Andrews, where the Open is going to be held later on this year, and I haven't even really been to the film festival. Oh, boo-hoo-hoo, play the world's smallest violin in the world just for Chris. I have been in this room editing the podcast all day, and it was whilst editing this podcast and putting the finishing touches to it that I realized I had been remiss yesterday whilst recording, and I forgot to set up and include the third and final guest this week, who is the wonderful star of The Worst Person in the World, Renate Rensve. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. I know we have a devoted Norwegian listener, at least one. So if I am getting that wrong, please do write in and tell me. But anyway, Renate Rensvey, she is fantastic. She's phenomenal in that film. And we sent along the 648th best person in the world, approximately, Beth Webb, to interview her on Zoom a couple of weeks ago. So here is that interview. Enjoy.
8: I'm so happy to be speaking with you this week, especially off the back of some extraordinary news for you. Oscar-nominated film, BAFTA-nominated actress. How are you feeling right now?
9: I am I'm so actually... Exhausted from being so happy, so we had we had like a really really big celebration for we invited friends and family and uh, we like because this whole like trip with the movie and everything has been lasting for seven months since the Cannes Film Festival and now these news we think we like every day we think okay this is the last good news and then this happened we're just so excited
8: amazing I've yeah. seen so many like beautiful testimonies but I think my favorite was Paul Thomas Anderson saying that this is the best yeah. film in the world I mean did you how, how do you feel about something like that from someone like that as well
9: no I was in a rush when I read that and I just had to stop because he <laughs> is like of course next to Joachim uh, Trier, the director of this movie he's mm-hmm. my absolute favorite director he it meant so much to me that's insane that he would say that <laughs> do you have a favorite
8: poor Thomas anderson film
9: huh i th- it's hard to say i think mm. i i love i haven't seen the Licor- pizza yet okay but i i uh, i really really i'm so excited to see that one i think it's yeah i've heard so many great things maybe that will be my favorite but uh no I, i'll have to say all of them
8: <laughs> yes not a bad film in that, in that whole catalogue. Um, this role was written for you and I wanted to know (laughs) how you felt when you read this part for the first time and knew that it was written for yourself in mind.
9: Yeah, I was, I was very nervous, um, because yeah, I knew it was written for me and I was really scared of not connecting to it or maybe Joachim had, like written something or seen something that I couldn't, you know, identify with. And then I think I, yeah, I was before like page seven, I had to just put it down. And I already then I thought I read something that this is going to be so important. This is going to mean so much to so many people. And I got even more scared because I was so scared of not, you know, conveying all the complexity of that character and like people having the same experience that I had reading it when I acted it, you know. So uh, and it, in the in the script, it was the um, when she is really just looking out in the um, out of uh, on Oslo, and she just suddenly feels sad. But she's very surprised that she feels sad because she didn't know she was this sad. And then she goes and sneaks into a wedding, and flirts with a guy and tests how like the boundary of uh, boundaries of being, of of cheating. And I thought like, she is so badass and Mm. complex. And this is so true. And just so many layers of, um, yeah, what, what love is and what life is and how you can feel so alone and sad, but try to like, you know make your own fun and figure she's so lost she's trying to figure stuff out she's so vulnerable but she's so strong in the same way it's yeah very complex character
8: I really like how assured she is in her and open she is about her restlessness yeah. um and I wondered what the key was to bringing that to the screen you said there's many loads but that really sticks out for me she's really open she's very vocal about her uncertainty so yeah what, what was that key
9: well I I just felt that um I got a bit provoked about um I felt it was implied that Axel was the strong one. in the the relationship because he could articulate and he could analyze what he was going through and where he was uh, in life, but she couldn't. She was very, uh, everything was so chaotic and she didn't know uh, why and she's just really restless and I wanted that to be a strong place because she was really searching for something and she was really um, wanting to figure stuff out before she made a big decision and I think now uh, you're supposed to have big opinions and scream them out and uh, speak loudest. And it's no room for being really vulnerable and standing there and not knowing. And I think it's a, it should be a very strong place to be. So that was my, um, yeah, I think that was my uh, kind of uh, how I accessed or how I did the yeah, my English is gone now.
8: <laughs> <laughs> it's much better than yeah. my Nordic pronunciation, so you're absolutely fine. <laughs> oh, thank you. But
9: yeah, that's uh my kind of baseline of uh, how I started working on her.
8: Yeah. yeah. It's funny. It's not overtly funny, but it's it's a very lightly funny um Performance and film. And I wondered who speaks to you comedically? Like who makes you laugh when you're thinking about performing?
9: Oh, in my life? Like actresses? Or yeah. Or people? Yeah. Um, well, I've, I've watched a lot of SNL and uh, Kristen Wiig. Oh, who makes yes. me laugh. And uh, Zach Alefaniakis. But he is, of course, a lot more absurd than this. <laughs> <laughs> the fun that we're having in this movie. But yeah, those two are maybe... I think Enrique Gervais, like those three are the most funny people I know that I can think of now. Yeah. I, um, so I, I've watched a lot of their, uh, like the, I remember seeing Zach, no, wait, uh, also, no, it's lost. It's lost. It's yeah, fine. My brain is so, my brain is so scattered.
8: She's wonderful in Saturday Night Live. I love it, the, the tiny hats, really makes me love Yeah,
9: yeah, and the tiny hands. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And being the fourth girl in that group. I love Ireland.
8: <laughs> so good. And yeah. um, we ran a story in the magazine uh, where we broke down the, the scene where time literally freezes and you get to run across Oslo in this really kind of freeing moment. Yeah. What, was,
9: what was that like to film? Well, it was amazing because Joachim, he didn't want to do any special effects. So there were people actually there standing still. And we had to block off half the city with the help of the police. And we ran into the street and drove the car in and the bicycle. And it was very well organized, of course. And then I just had to like, it was really hard technical to do that. But we just to be free and run through that. Well, of course, it it felt like actually being there Mm. uh, when it wasn't uh, special effects. I think. I love working with you, Joachim. He wants to do everything like old school. He loves cinema. He's just so in love with that medium. So it's really fun. Uh I've I've done a lot of theater and I, I always loved films, but now I'm completely in love uh, again with films. And um yeah, just working with him. It's it's been amazing. Wonderful.
8: I was wondering, I mean, you speak of how taken you were with your character when you read the script. You've been on this huge journey with her. And I wondered if your relationship with the character had changed at all, like if you see her any differently than when you did when you first read her.
9: Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, when I saw the film the first time, and of course, when I played her, I would like defend her with everything that I had. And uh, I couldn't really tell the difference between me and her through the shooting. And when I saw it the first time, I also um, felt really close to her. But when I saw it the third time and that's the last time I th- saw it, I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> then I felt like, okay, she's actually get- making some really bad mistakes. And I, it's, I love the character also in a, in a different way now because you don't really know um if to like her or not, but that's, you know, how people are. People are both beautiful and ugly and they make wonderful choices and they make really bad choices and they're, uh, yeah, life is really messy and people are really messy and it's really liberating to see this movie because you, she's never perfect. She's never, you know, um, glorified. She is really just very complex and uh, yeah, I really love that
8: um there's the most extraordinary use of music in this film like I adore the soundtrack so much and I wondered if you used music at all to get into your character did you have playlists or did you share music with uh to kind of help to get into character
9: yeah I had one song that I listened to uh for all the um, big dramatic or tragic scenes but it's not in the movie and it's um I've been really inspired uh as an actress from Charlotte Gainsborough and she the first scene in uh antichrist where oh yeah it's a it's a beautiful song in the prologue and uh I really I use that song just to access i know I don't know that universe and she goes really far into uh sorrow and um yeah, jo- all of those, you know, dramatic big um, emotions. So I, I use that. I don't. I can't pronounce that song. Last okay. do you remember? You'll song? do better than I do. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in the fun scenes, you know, when we did the wedding scene and we, um, uh, the the where Ivan and Julie wants to see how far they can go and not cheat. We. Mm-hmm. Joachim would put on some boogies and uh, we would dance and we would like make a party it felt like a party we filmed it in in the middle of the night so yeah we used music a lot actually throughout the whole process
8: yeah obviously you've had you've had Paul Thomas Anderson say this is the best film but I wondered have you had anybody sort of a member of public kind of come and react to you has there been something that's really stuck with you that a fan of the films sort of said to you along this journey
9: yeah I think well I I I think like every time someone comes up and and they um they're really there as themselves in the movie and and they have this very personal relationship to the movie even if it's them or their sister or their their daughter or Uh, someone they know I it's just why you want to make a film you know to to have conversations about you know big existential conversations and we felt when we were on set that it was really we made something really important and we tried to be honest with some big themes and we but we tried to leave space and we didn't want to like force anything we didn't want to force our answers only like ask questions in the way I think the script is written, the way uh, jo Joachim is directing us and how us as actors wanted to approach emotion. Mm. And I feel when when someone comes up and they had a big personal uh, experience, that's always so fantastic to hear because it's not only ours. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, more people's movie. It becomes someone else's movie and that's really I love every time that happens.
8: Amazing. I mean, this role, this film has launched you into a whole new audience, international audiences, international filmmakers are recognizing this film and and you very much being a part of that. How are you going to harness what's happened with this film? Is there a filmmaker you'd really like to work with or a story you'd really like to tell that you feel like this film will help you to kind of do?
9: Yeah, it's a really good question because it it really, I found, this is, you know, my first lead and I felt it depended so much on the people I worked with and the way Joakim, uh directed uh, the, you know, on set, but also the production and the way he wants to produce movies. So I, I really hope that I can be in a, in a production that really values the collective and really mm-hmm. wants to talk about these big existential themes and really explore what it is to be a human being today and mm-hmm. uh, the time we live in and um, i feel it's it's rare that directors get to uh, have that place and and um, uh, you know make the movie like fr- stop, iPhone, oh it's city my iPhone is talking back. <laughs> like, yeah, I agree. It's hard. It's hard out there. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, I really hope. I, I, I learned so much about film production, but I also learned, also I felt I, I learned a new way of acting. Like not, um, like how, how, um, how much I could rest in the, or not take responsibility for for the character and the, and, you know, the whole of it because Mm. I trusted Joachim so much. So it was about like creative, creating events together and, um, being really true to like almost like talking about it in a philosophical way and then try to create almost as a documentary, you know, like Mm. really trying to create the, the scenes as, uh lifelike as we could and honest as we could. And I really, I really believe in that. So I really hope that I get to do that again and I get to work with a director who wants who wants that too. Yeah.
8: Sounds like a very trusting collaboration.
9: Yeah. That's a long answer. And I (laughs) it's it's complicated to answer, but yeah, that's what I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
8: It's been uh just such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. And just congratulations. It's, it's thrilling. So thank you so much. Thank
9: you so much. Thank
0: you. Join us next week for more film-related fun. But we'll be joined by... <laughs> we'll be checking into the Overbook Hotel once again, folks, because I've done it again. I have done it again. Uh, we'll be joined by Ruth Wilson, star of True Things. We will be joined by Matt Smith, the star of Morbius. That's right. Morbius is finally out next week and we Good will be Lord. doing a spoiler special for that and we will be doing a spoiler special for Ambulance as well which might just turn into an hour of <laughs> Helen and me <laughs> shouting at each other so us that should be a, a must listen folks we'll be also joined by the stars of Moon Knight that's right the stars of Moon Knight Oscar Isaac Ethan Hawke and May Kalamaui will be on the Empire podcast and they can't tell the difference between wacky life and dreams. and dreams. Oh, it's very exciting. Very exciting. And we will have a spoiler special for that dropping next week, which is exciting. Do subscribe to that now. EmpireOnline.com slash spoiler specials. Until those suspicious occasions, until we meet again, that is it. Uh, it is time to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Squadcast names, Windfall Tax, it's Helen O'Hara. <laughs>
1: totally. Hashtag politics. Hashtag politics.
0: <laughs> uh, it is goodbye from Baymax. Yes. James Dyer.
2: Goodbye. Please subscribe to the Pilot TV Podcast and listen to it on Monday.
0: Thanks. Okay.
6: It's goodbye from Sam Elliott. What are you doing back here? <laughs> My pilot TV podcast and fucking <laughs> read the pilot TV podcast. <laughs> they don't talk about the good stuff. The master chefs and the, the apprentices of this world. Moving around. Well, oh, well thanks a
0: lot, Sam. That's uh, really good to know. <laughs> Whatever you said. <laughs> <laughs> I like to hear that in the Dolby. Anyway, and it's goodbye for me. See, I wrote The bast- the baster of Bayhem as in The Master of Mayhem, but now I realize it basically reads The Baster of Bayhem. Yeah, so, it's
1: a bit weird. It is yeah. a bit weird.
0: Yeah. I don't know exactly know what that means. Am I about to yeah. baste myself with Michael Bay's action juice? Oh, no. (laughs) That's a strange sentence. Anyway, that's it for me. I'm off to put some pants on. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.